Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. Uh, my name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snow Pro Ski School based here in a ridiculously snowy Val d'Illier in Switzerland. Um, it's actually got to the point now where I, I have to dig myself out of my house in the mornings when it snows a lot. Um, I live sort of below the road, if you like. And I've actually run out of place now to put all the snow. It, I'm clearing the, I'm clearing like the, all the snow on the, the the steps and the driveway and stuff like that, like three times a day. It has been the most crazy start to the season I think I've ever seen since I've lived here. And, and certainly this is going to be... Um, well, certainly there's an amazing base for the season, um, but if it carries on like this, you know, it's it's like fax skis all season. So, uh, so um, seriously impressive uh, European start to the ski season, and I hope for the rest of you around the world that you're also having a similar similar year. Um, so this podcast is going to be, uh, it's going to form the Christmas special. So the Christmas special is um, essentially just me and uh, Phil Brown, uh, and Julian Griffiths and uh, also halfway through a guy called Steve Hindman turned up uh, who's on the US uh, Nordic demo team um, he's going to be working with Julian this season so uh, so about sort of halfway through he appears as well um, and uh, and basically we just sat down had a big round table and uh, with a few kind of general topics and um, I thought it might be quite an interesting thing to do for for a, sort of a, a Christmas podcast so we talk about um, sort of the state of the state of the industry as it stands after two years of, of, of corona stuff um, we go on to talk about uh, digital tech and, and its place in skiing there's a whole bunch of tangents and stuff in there about um, teaching learning is there enough teaching in most um or teaching teaching learning how to teach within um within uh, national systems and also things like customer care and you know looking after clients selling yourself marketing that kind of stuff so um i found i've done quite a lot of editing on this because it got it got a bit out of hand but the um but but essentially i think what we've got here is the the, the kind of um the core of uh, the good bits of the conversation that we had so um so yeah, I hope uh, I hope that you're going to enjoy this podcast. Now, um, I've had two pieces of correspondence, which is great. I love receiving correspondence. Um, one was from a guy called Mike Thomas. Uh, hi, Mike. Um, thanks for thanks for writing in. Uh, he says, "Loving the podcast, Dave. Really interesting and motivational." I started with the Phil Smith episode, uh, which was the first one, um, who he says he knew way back in the eighties. Uh, great listening to the passion and insight offered. Um, Mike goes on to talk about uh, John Shedden, who was ahead of his time, definitely ahead of his time, I would agree with you on that, um, would be a great person to interview. Um, now, a couple of people have asked me about John Shedden, and uh, I've been in touch with him, but he's, well, he's a self, he basically wrote to me and said that he's a bit of a recluse these days and he didn't want to do it. So, um, you know, I tried, uh, but, I, you know, it's not it's not going to happen. Um, he also says uh, Tom Andres, uh, who had pleasure of working to working with years ago, we were both club coaches. Um, I shall keep recommending the podcast to friends and colleagues. Great work. So thanks for that, Mike. I really, really appreciate you getting in touch. That's really cool. And the second one, I can't believe it, but I got a message from Kurt, Kurt Anderson. Uh, Kurt used to work for me like two seasons ago. Um, and we still miss him like massively. Uh, he's absolutely one of the safest pairs of hands you could ever have in your ski school. Hi, Kurt. Lovely to hear from you. Uh, Kurt writes and says, um, I was just listening to your podcast with John Olsen while I was working out. Um, 
it was one of my favorites not only for the content but also for the depth i can't wait for the second part uh, i'm well the second part's just been released obviously uh kurt and it's a bit more about skiing than just like suits and fashion and whatnot um the podcast made me laugh reflect and work harder during my fitness session um it was fun to hear all the familiar names too alessandro pk my only critique is that you refer to being 44 as old uh wait another 20 years and reflect back on that comment um absolutely right and i do go on about being old i've just turned 45 uh this week and um i don't know it's like a, a switch has flicked and i'm just like i don't know it's getting worse i'm not sure how i'm going to uh i've got to keep going my goal actually this season kurt is um is is to get back to some sort of semblance of, of decent skiing um you know i actually quite pleased with some of the skiing that I've done early season on the glacier at Glacier 3000. We had a really cool powder day the other day and looks like I'm moving pretty well, but I want to get my piece stuff back, um, back towards or somewhere near towards how I used to be able to ski. So uh, I've got a, I've got a goal for this season. Anyway, Kurt goes on to say, uh, seeing your posts from Glacier 3000, Zermatt, Sassfe and elsewhere make me homesick for Switzerland and snow pros. Oh, thanks Kurt. Um, if we could have transported our family and US friends to Switzerland, we would still be there. Uh, Glacier 3000 brings back fond memories of training with NewGen and, of course, Sasfe, where we first connected on the T-Bar. That's right. Um, plus subsequent early season ski days. Uh, the mountain here, Mount Bachelor, doesn't open till 26th of November. And I miss the early season days on the glaciers to get the legs and balance back. Um Yes, completely agree with you, and uh, and I know that Kurt is working at Mount Bachelor. So if you're ever up there, request that guy uh, if you're if you're going for a lesson, or indeed just look him up because he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, so yeah, he goes on to recommend someone that I could speak to, and I'm I'm trying to set that up now uh, as it goes, Kurt. Um, have a great season, Dave. Please say hello to friends there for me. Cheers, Kurt. Um, amazing, amazing to hear from you. Thank you so much. Um, this podcast, I'm going to just run straight through. You won't hear me in the middle. Uh, it's just for your listening pleasure. I know sometimes people have a lot of dead time to kill over the Christmas New Year period. So this is something maybe that you can uh, listen to when you're driving to go and visit friends and family and all that sort of stuff. Um, from me here in Switzerland and uh, to you wherever you might be listening to this, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, I wish you a great uh, ski season. Uh, welcome to the Christmas special uh, of the Ski Instructor Podcast. Um, I am joined, I'm here in Verbier and I'm joined with Phil Brown, Impulse Racing, Julian Griffiths of European Snow Sports. Morning. How are you both? Okay, very well. Good? Good, yeah. Just getting ready for uh, taking a bit of time off over Christmas, having a, <laughs> enjoying the holiday period. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going visiting to, some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some We're not going to divulge what we were talking about before uh, we went on air. Um, and before we get into any of it, let's do the festive stuff. So I've got mince pies here, and for all of our American listeners, uh, maybe do they have mince pies in the US? In the US and Canada, do you think they know what they are? In the nice bits, probably. The mince pies is weird. Like when you give these to people that are like non. We've never had it before. It's it's a real acquired taste. You try giving that to like an Italian dude or like a Swiss person, they're just like, oh, I'm with what them. What is this? I'm with them. You don't like mince pies? I'm not a fan of mince pies. Are they mince pies? Yeah. 
the puff pastry mince pies from Marks and Spencer's. Like they're like oh, this really? is the yeah the only level I mean, up from this is that was like, like something that they made in Switzerland to be like no a mince no pie. it's a real mince pie oh. yeah, yeah and uh, I got these from a secret mince pie supplier. Was it that little shop we stopped that at? little shop, yeah. In the summer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that little shop. That we in Switzerland, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's in Bebe. Oh. Yeah. Like it's called Bite Sized. I'll just give it a plug now. It's Bite Sized. It's owned by my friend Xanthi. And if you want any kind of British stuff, that's the place to go. Right. It's really good. Uh, so, mince pies here. And we were going to do a secret Santa, weren't we? Like, like people in... Uh, who, working offices and stuff do like <laughs> I think I remember doing one like once upon a time work like work I had it's a dream do you know what do you know I, I I had a dream last night that I had a like a real job that's a nightmare not I, a dream. <laughs> it was really strange um I was working in a bank and like I, it was my first day and I thought I'd done a really really good job and as I was leaving some bloke just told me I'd done a really really bad job and I was like, <laughs> I was like right well that's it then I'm leaving was that like, your dream? that was my dream yeah it's really strange it was a really really strange dream like I don't know what it was trying to tell me I basically was trying to tell you that you don't want to go and work for someone else yeah yeah that's the just, overriding thought I was reinforcing that yeah yeah you like unemployable I think is that's where it is scares me I could see I could see that yeah I think so I can identify with it as well oh when you work for yourself for a long time I'll ask you both right do you think you could you could go and work for anyone now I'll do some work for you yeah but that's different I regard that as like just fun (laughs) (laughs) and you sent me an invoice at the end of it but like like, what do you think like could yeah I could yeah I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy it but for a short time I'd quite like it Mm. after about a year I'd come up with all sorts of ideas of how we could change things around and I'd become unemployable I think <laughs> that's that's the problem isn't it yeah. when you've worked for yourself and you, and you find these opportunities and you're able to take them without there being any restrictions on you generally um, you go and work for someone and you see better ways of working yeah. and you have to go through this whole process in order to make those changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they go, well, no, we've always done it this way, <laughs> but why would we want to change? You know, so, it, it, yeah, I get it. it would, I, I think I would struggle in a fairly short period, especially if I saw better ways of doing things and I, and there was restrictions on, on actually making those happen. What do you um, think, Jules? Oh, I think um, they'd be like, you know, Julian, your job, your job is to drop the anchor. <laughs> not to have an opinion on which anchorage we should go to you know? <laughs> yeah. well alright I'll stick with the anchor okay. uh, um, <laughs> no uh, I'd want to I don't know I always come up with lots of ideas for whatever whatever it is you know mm. um, so I'd, I like I like working for myself mm. I have this conversation occasionally with Lou my wife yeah I say wouldn't it be nice to go into somewhere and work come away and not think about it yeah. and have your evenings and your weekends oh. without without oh. that going on in the end she turned around and went yeah but what about if you just wanted to go away for a weekend or you wanted to do this or, yeah you yeah, know yeah. because I get family um, and friends and I'm I'm maybe back in the UK for a period and I'll spend an hour or two hours in the morning on the laptop doing some stuff yeah for work and they go oh, you're always working well I'm not always working 
No. I'm spending the afternoon and evening with you guys. Yeah. But in order to do that, yeah, I've got, I do to, do a few, bit, right? I do, I've got to do a little bit. Yeah. And I'll do a little bit because I'm always able to do that wherever I am in the world. Yeah. You know, I can visit friends. We've got friends in, in the States. We'll go and visit them. But actually, Europe's awake till, mid, till sort of uh, mid-morning. Yeah. I'll do some work. Mid-morning, we go and we catch up with them. We go out in the evening. And you can do that. And you can be on the holiday. And I'll put that in inverted commas. Yeah. But you can be doing stuff that you want to do while still having yeah. work going on, which is... Which is one of the advantages, whereas if you go and work for somebody, you've got four weeks, five weeks, maybe six weeks if you're lucky, yeah. holiday time. Yeah. You know, that you have to fit in. Uh, yeah, so and then the, someone the, holi- dictated to you. the holidays become more pressured then, don't they? I think. Yeah. You, I mean, I, I have some weeks in the summer with my kids, and those are great, and they're, they're shorter than they were before, so it's a little bit more pressure to, you know, mm. to, to do more. Mm. But it's cool. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think I. I think I'm happy with the way it is, but I would I would quite enjoy like a time like one Christmas would be quite nice to just a Christmas off. Yeah, well, it's like oh things are slowing down. Day. You hear people yeah. oh things are slowing down for Christmas, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time off and it must be nice, you know. But for us, everything just gets busier and busier until yeah. that New Year week, you know, and then hmm. yeah, it's uh, it it uh, it's it's funny, isn't it? I actually I thought to myself, I looked at my um looked at my diary because I had a sort of feeling in the back of my mind that. That I might have three days in a row over Christmas. I thought, oh, I could nip back to the UK and like see my family. And I looked at the diary, and no, of course not. You don't want to go to the UK at Christmas. I don't know. Like I haven't been for years. So ah, fair enough. Like, but. We we used to spend Christmas with family and stuff. And actually, three years ago, the year before all this crap hit. Yeah. We decided we were going to have Christmas at home, just the three of us, uh-huh. myself and Charlie. In Italy. In Italy, we went. We went back to the UK in early December and caught up with everybody and did early Christmas and had Christmas meals. And actually, it was one of the best things we did because it was so nice just to be. Because our business model is a little bit different from a ski school, and we generally don't have people out over three or four days of Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because kids want parents want kids to spend time with either either they are out in the skiing or they are at home with the family. So we have those those few days off, and actually having a really nice, quiet Christmas morning, mm. put on you know your FaceTime and that just to catch up with people. But little boy opens presents. We like, chill out in the morning, catch up with some friends for a drink or a bite in the afternoon, yeah. and and it's really nice. Yeah. And I I think I probably wouldn't go back to the UK for Christmas. Okay. Now haven't yeah. done it for a number of years. Yeah. But I think if you haven't done it for a period, probably go back and catch up people. But it's one of those, you go back and everything's everything feels pressured to do things because it's mm. Christmas. Whereas you go back a different time, you can have a bit more leisurely catch up with people. I've just been there for two days and it is already Christmas in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of pressure on Christmas. Oh, it's UK, already it? started. Let's yeah. so here. I was in Swaddling Coat in Derbyshire at the weekend running a, a dry slope race. National, All the glamorous locations. Oh, I was in Derbyshire at the weekend. Yeah. And we walked into the town after the training evening and it was like Christmas had arrived. Oh, yeah? And I'm walking around going, it's still November, yeah, what's yeah. going on? But they just... It just seems to get earlier every year. I think so. You know, your Christmas adverts. Now, I get, I get the marketing for the Christmas adverts and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but you know, trees and lights and everything up in mid-November in town centres should be should be banned. 
since it will be banned eventually <laughs> <laughs> right secret Santa Julian I bring you oh, a hat a woolly so snow pros hat and I give really you nice. also a woolly snow pros hat it's still grassy me though mine's not quite flash you, can have, you can have a can oh, what's this? a nice green buff oh have I got one of these no I didn't get one before did I no that's beautiful you didn't have them here I'm going to put that on to do the podcast. <laughs> Julian had forgot the secret Santa. That's not true. It is true. Well, he, has pro- he has provided a lovely breakfast. Spot. That I is true. Yeah, he did. Breakfast. He did. I have here. I have here for our podcast host. Oh, look at this! It's clean. I promise. It, it looks <laughs> used. It's not. It's an European it's, snow it's sports. Luxury. It's luxury. European snow sports. That's oh, well, thank you. Oh, you got the same thing. Oh, fantastic. Did get you one. I got one. That's it. I've got about three million of these. Well, good. Um, now, what I'd like to do, so Phil, your your ski school, ski race academy, whatever you want to call it, um, is based in Pilar in Italy, and Julian, you have ski schools based in various locations. The latest of which is opening in Val d'Isère. Val d'Isère and, and Maribel too. And yeah. Maribel, mm. all the flash locations. And um, what I kind of want to do, <laughs> what I want to do, <laughs> is have like give me a sort of a state of the union kind of thing as to what skiing is going to look like in the various countries that you operate in um, this coming winter we'll talk about previous winters in a minute but this yeah. coming winter what what's like what's on the what's on the menu well you, you know i think i think like a lot of when we had the credit crisis in 2009 a lot of people kept skiing mm-hmm. you know the, the a lot of stuff stopped all the host, corporate hospitality stopped all the um a lot of things stopped but and then a lot of people were reluctant to display their wealth by going skiing in an environment where perhaps they were laying people off in their businesses or they were working in London, people were getting made redundant. So, you know, blowing lots of money on skiing perhaps didn't look good. So there was a long, there was a long period of slowness, if you like, after that. But after this, and I think this season is after this, I think things are, it's going to be crazy. Mm. People are going to come skiing as much as they can. I think there's a certain sort of like, feeling of mortality in the air like people people know they have to make the most of it they're going to want to go on holiday and they don't care what Mm. it looks like and they're alive and they can travel and and let's do it you know and there are kids who haven't skied for for two years three years and they'll be desperate to ski and families who want to ski together Um, yeah so i mean it's a you never really you can never really tell by pre-season bookings how things are going but ours feel really really good and strong Mm. and um, people are people are booking, you know. They're not just they're not just scratching around and what's this and maybe this and maybe that. They're just ringing up and like, you know, let's let's go, let's have a let's have a ski holiday. So hopefully that's the same everywhere, um, and we're going to have a great season. Mm-hmm. I think from from like a ski instructor point of view, you know, any individual ski instructor can only teach so much. Um, but obviously the, the low season weeks are important. Hopefully they'll be, they'll be good too, because other, you know, the low season people, mm. the non-family type skiers who come then, they, they haven't been skiing either. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping the whole season will be, will be pretty strong. Um, and of course we've got other problems as well, like, which we'll come to, I think, Yeah. <coughs> you know, 
it's just just like around the world, isn't it? We can't find enough employees. There are Brexit problems. There are, there's a whole you know range of things that we have to deal with. Um, but I, I think like if you look back two years ago, mm. all of us perhaps had to fill in a form or two at the beginning of the season to renew a ski school license. Yeah. And now we're used to just dealing with multiple problems at the same time. <laughs> Big swings in work and business levels, and yeah, it's been a lot to navigate around. Yeah, right? everyone's everyone's a lot tougher. Yeah, now yeah. Than they were two years ago. It's been a. If they're not, they're not working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, in France, I've I've been over there a lot the last few weeks, and people say that people say that a, a big percentage of ski instructors in France have just given up, hung up their boots. I know too. Yeah, at least they've started something else. They've gone. Oh, it's too hard. You know flaked off which is a shame if they were good before if they were enjoying it maybe it's just hastened some retirements or career changes that were on the cards anyway but do I have to add them to my list I've got a whatsapp list that I used to share with Ben hi Ben um, if you're listening uh, of uh, it was called the sellouts list and it was (laughs) it was ski instructors who'd given it all up to go and get a hashtag real job yeah Um, don't say it with even hashtags real job so uh, yeah, I'll add. I'll add. The, you give me those names. I'll add them on. But uh, but yeah, it's false. And this is anecdotally through the industry as well. It's not just within skiing. It's in hotels, bars, restaurants. All the people that used to staff those things, and probably lifties as well. I would imagine in France, uh, certainly. All those people have had time to go off and do something else, right? And and they might not come back probably aren't going to come back um, to a sort of a seasonal seasonal thing I saw something similar in the UK I spent a bit of time in Cornwall and Scillies in the summer Mm. and they were struggling for staff and it was mainly because of these reasons and obviously people didn't want to commit to half a season Mm. because by the time it got going it was July yeah so people had who would have committed from May to September October Mm had gone, well, we need to do something, we'll go somewhere else or we'll do something else. Yeah. So when it came time to open and start running, they were all, all of those holiday areas were down on staff for restaurants and, mm. and bars and places were limited on bookings, they were only opening limited evenings or lunch times per week and stuff like that. Because so of the lack of staff. Because of the lack of staff. And it was, it was purely lack of staff. It's interesting. That was the issue. I, I mean, there's an, there was another issue with, with getting hold of some... Um, items, uh, menu items, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for for sure, having uh, staff available was a was a big issue mm-hmm. for all of them. Mm. Okay. And your and the picture in Italy. So for this winter, uh, I know you're not running a traditional ski school as such, and I know that you've just had some changes <laughs> again. Um, and that, well, the trend, yeah. That's, so a, mani- talk that's us, a maniacal yeah. laugh. Not but talk about what, what Italy looks like for, for skiing. Like what, if, you're a, if you're someone coming to, to ski in Italy for, for a holiday or something, like what does it look like? It's, at the moment, it's looking good. The, the resort's all going to open. Yeah. Um, there are um, obviously some, some rules and regs in there that will allow the government to allow the resorts to open to, to full capacity. And... Mm. Um, Certainly for, for holiday makers coming in without children yeah. up to the fifteenth of January there is no issue apart from as long as they've as long as they've got 
uh, they can show vaccination or recovery or um, or tested. Yeah. However, last night a new decree came out which meant that the what they call the green pass, mm. which is proof of vaccination, recovery from COVID or, or testing every 72 hours, yeah. is, is changing from 6th of December through to the 15th of January. Right. What that means is for entry to um, restaurants, um, bars, any any indoor cultural facilities and ski slopes, mm. you can your green pass must only be proof of vaccination, Reco- proof of recovery or um, seventy two hour testing is not sufficient to access the slopes, and that's up until the fifteenth. That that was. I've read that this morning from the Italian government. No, it's only before last night. It's not so much that, but I think isn't uh, as a as a medical establishment, they're then saying that if you've had COVID and recovered, that's still not good enough. I mean, that's a nonsense. Apparently, so. that denies a whole bunch of people. I, 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 I'll need to double check whether from, that from accessing but, it. But essentially, the wording I read was was yeah, which which does cause some issues because we we work. A lot with kids, mm. and a lot of our kids are between twelve and sixteen. Yeah. Now under twelves are exempt. Yeah. Twelve to sixteens, UK twelve to sixteens. Yeah. Don't have a second vaccine. No. So they're classed as unvaccinated by the Italian government. So um, unless there is some kind of intervention, yeah, to say well the British government classes them as vaccinated, uh-huh. then they won't be able to ski, and that causes a, I mean it causes us a few issues. We're not massively busy over there. I've got other things going on. But there are, I mean, we work quite closely with British Ski Academy, Mm -hmm. who are based in Pila, um, who are running a race series in um, January, early January, which we help run. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can't have, if this this applies to the letter, Mm. it means that those 12 to 16-year-old kids won't be able to come out and won't be able to take part in the... In the race, well, they can they can come to Italy, but they can't take part in the race. They can't they can't go into restaurants, it can't yeah, yeah. venues, etc., etc. And um, now I get I get the reason the green pass was brought in for a reason, so that, that so that resorts can open to higher capacity, and mm. um, they don't have lower capacity on the lifts because or they don't have fifty percent capacity on the lifts, yeah, which they would have if they hadn't agreed to have this the green pass in the resorts. So, um. I see the reasoning behind it, but the, this change actually is, will cause some issues to all of the yeah. um, resorts. And the Italian government had said previously they would support the mountain regions as they supported the beach regions during the summer. And, the, and this this constant trying to nail down jelly approach to government regulation is the thing that hurts everyone the most because you don't you can't plan anything. If, 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 for example, for that BSA series of races, right, if they'd have known this in October, that wouldn't have been planned and they would have taken it somewhere well, it else. It would have been the, planned, the, but they, the, they is, could have is, more, they may still, yeah, but it's, it's just people will have already booked yeah. to come out and yeah. whether they'll be able to get anything back yeah, yeah. is, um, is going to be the issue, I think. Um, I mean, I'd like to say I'm hopeful that there can be some some 
caveat put in for these British kids, but I don't know whether it will be because the Italians are saying, well, we're going to vaccinate yeah. our kids double, so, you know, why isn't everybody else? Yeah, yeah. What's Which the... Um, it is. What, what's the... Tell me about your operations in Switzerland and France. What's... Uh, so we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, what's going on, but we, tell me about the the... the the logistics of, of skiing in France, for example. Well, I just we'll just see what happens. I mean, We're still waiting. Aren't yeah, we? it'll, it'll open. It'll be okay. So um, there's no the worst, the worst case scenario. I think in both <coughs> places is that some instructors won't be able to join their clients for lunch. Mm. Um, and there are some clients where we can't allocate instructors because one or two of our instructors are refusing to take the vaccine or any vaccine. Um, so I'm not going to force them to. I'm not going to say we won't employ them if they don't take the vaccine. Mm. It's up to them. It's their, their personal choice. They just may not be able to go into restaurants with their clients. And if you look if you look a little bit down the road, some restaurants in Samaritz and some of those places, they actually have separate rooms for the instructors anyway. Mm-hmm. I think British clients like to have their instructors with them at lunchtime. But I think like older money, European, New World, Middle Eastern, that type of, especially like fairly cultured people from poor mm. countries, they quite like their staff on a separate table, mm-hmm. you know. Um, wealthier people from more advanced, older, de- more democratic countries tend to invite their instructors to sit with them. So just generalisations there, of course. But I think in, for some of them, they won't be able to. Yeah. And they came here, actually came right here, and they said, look, Julian, we know what you're like. You're going to be like, you all have to get vaccinated, and we're just not going to. So I said, no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> just do whatever you want, and uh, <laughs> we won't. We won't insist, you know. Um, but you'll have to work around the rules. Yeah, you just have to work within the rules, and they might, you might have to get tested every week and um, that type of thing. And there are there are some ways to get them tested without having to spend too much money. So I think it'll be okay. I think we just, as a business, we're just trying to pretty much stay out of it as much as we can. And if sometimes you can't have lunch with your clients, then clients will still have a nice lunch talking to each other. As an employer in Switzerland, you're not allowed to demand that information anyway. Maybe, yeah. You're, you're just not. like So <coughs> So yeah. that whole thing falls down, you know, from there. Yeah. Um, that's certainly something you're not allowed to ask. And then where does that leave you? Mm. You know, um, if you're looking at it from the letter of the law, most people will volunteer that information if you yeah. ask them, which is also, also terrible, I think, that, that we've all got so familiar with yeah. divulging our private medical information. That seems to have just gone out of the window. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't know, it's just a strange, strange presence that we're I setting think, in. But I think it'll be okay. And yeah. We'll look back and we'll go, oh, what a nightmare that was. But then I, I, I remember on the podcast last year, this time last year, I was saying exactly the same thing, it'll all be fine. You did, and yes. I yes. had great hopes for the coming year. And it's, it, many, I, of, many of those, you know, hopes... <laughs> Although fact, to, it was a total nightmare last year. But mm-hmm. To be fair, um, yeah, you know, at least if you were operating in Switzerland, mm-hmm. you were able. I mean, if you work in British holidaymakers, there there would have been a big hole. Mm. But at least there there was an ability to get out and get something done. And I know mm. I did some work with you, Dave, last year, and um, you your clientele tend to be expats from many countries mm-hmm. and some of the international schools. So that that kind of kept you ticking over for sure yeah and yeah. I think we've all been in a position where we're treading water over the last 18 months yeah um, but I think probably before that I mean to be opening new ski schools in the current climate Julian is, is a really 
Good thing, good thing yeah. to be doing. Well, I just, I just figure, like, why not? Why not, <laughs> why not make some moves in the mayhem, you know, while the yeah. cards are all in the air? Let's, let's bust in there. But, and, uh, but many, many, can, you know. many people. I know, but why not? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you wait for it all to settle down again, mm. then mm. it'll be harder than it is now. Yeah, you know? that's um, fair. Can't do, we can't do nothing for all these years. No. And it, like, no. with, with all these businesses treading water, it's just trying to survive. It's, it's clearly quite difficult. I mean, we, we introduced a bunch of stuff back in the UK last year because people couldn't get away. And, and it worked. Ca- worked. And it's really carrying well. on this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because, you know, if they couldn't get away. And there's still a bunch of, of certainly in our demographic, of, of kids that wouldn't be going away You've got you've got kids that go to academies that spend the whole winter yeah. away, and you've got kids that go away for a week's holiday. Yeah. And we're looking at kids somewhere in the middle, from the bottom to the middle, whose parents aren't wealthy enough to send them away for the whole season or, or yeah. bulk of the season, and they still want to do a lot of stuff in the UK. So that's actually, I mean, that's uh, you know things have come out of it certainly for us that we've we've worked around the restrictions to make things happen, and and it's been successful. Yeah. But I think there there are a lot of businesses out there where they have just gone. Oh well, wait. What's happening? We'll, we'll just try and survive. And and I think it's a good period. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. Is the expression, yeah. and it's a good period for for um, a lot of that um, innovation. It is. Yeah, you're kind of forced to innovate, aren't you? Yeah. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who wouldn't have even had the option to not innovate. So let's say you've got a ski school in Valdezere. Last year, you're stuck up at the end of the valley. You rely on those 600 hours or whatever you yeah. teach a year to, to fund you through the rest of the year. And there was... Nothing. Nothing. Like, nothing. You can't, it's not like you can adapt because no one's coming to Valdezere in the winter. You've got to literally find to something sledge, completely right? different. Yeah. 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 So there's a whole bunch of people who have been you know, taken out by this whole thing. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. And probably, yeah. uh, like, keep their fingers crossed that a whole bunch of people coming this winter if they've made it through the year. Yeah. They had to. I mean, luckily, I think anyone who was in France properly received their entire income from the year before mm. in one hit. And then some of them were even teaching. They opened the nursery slopes in Val d'Azur. Yeah. They had buses running, people up and down, they were skiing yeah. down yeah. runs in different places. Um, there was actually a, a season. Mm. Sort of. Of sorts, yeah. Yeah, you know, in those places. I mean, here we had a season, but it was just, you know, Christmas week we had Swedes because they could still travel, mm. no Brits. New Year week, the Swedish rules changed and they stopped travelling. And we had an, an hour, what, was norm, what would normally be a bunch of groups. There were, there was one Swedish child, one Swedish instructor, mm. and me supervising. <laughs> it was crazy. That's mm. at the meeting point, you know, we had privates. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. So, what did what did last year look like for, for what you might call you call Verbier a tourist destination? But what 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 did last year look like for you? You, you obviously there was there must have been a whole bunch of clients who were missing that would normally have been here. I'm yeah. thinking corporate yeah. groups, people from the UK. Yeah. Whatever you know, like lots. Yeah. What did lots. it look like? Just way down. Hmm. Weird, weird sort of like some people still manage to travel. They came out here, and I think you can you could get around it. You could come and ski. There were lots of Swiss clients. You know, the lifts were quite busy in some some days. Mm. But then a Swiss client, often good skier, doesn't take lessons. An international person around the lake, they still came. Um, Swiss people would naturally tend towards the Swiss ski school, mm-hmm. which were, who were pretty busy. Um, 
So yeah, we had a season in, in Zermatt and Verbier. Mm. We halved the size of our team, and it was still still a quiet season. So yeah, it was tough. Does that cause tensions inside the school? Mm. He's getting work, and I'm not. She's getting. Do you know work. what? No, I mean I was really, really like humbled by our staff's reaction to the season and how they dealt with it mm-hmm. because everybody knew what was going on and how tough it was and everyone was really good about it mm-hmm. you know I had, a, I had a guy approach me from another school two weeks ago and he was like Julian you know I'm just like not happy where I was there was just like there just wasn't any work and I was like dude do you do you actually like have you have you seen what's going on in the world and he's like what do you mean I was like what well, you know COVID and he was like Oh, yeah, but like, and I was like, dude, you know, sometimes I think, and I see this in some of our resorts, one of our resorts in particular, there's a sort of bubble, and they live within that bubble. Mm-hmm. And if they've survived in that bubble, it's like, well, what, 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 what do you mean? Like, but, but, no, no, everyone did it tough last yeah. season, every school. Yeah. There was no one who clicked to the marketing. The Swiss school probably did the best, you know, because they had most clients. Swiss people who would normally save a bit of money going to by going to France or Austria, had to come here. Um, yeah. And they were fine. Or maybe they, they even they were like, oh, it's been a tough season, you know. So without that, like, torrent of, of well-heeled clients determined to have a good time coming to these resorts, yeah, it, was, it was tough for, for everybody, mm. especially the restaurants. But then, you know, like you said, Mother Invention, there's a, there's a guy I know here who set up a delivery service um, and signed up the restaurants, and some of them were just doing loads of delivery business. And... Mm-hmm. You know, one like steak, what is it? It's um steakhouse set up a, a sort of an online only curry. I was a curry place, set up mm-hmm. a steak place, set up an Italian menu. You know, so a single restaurant could set up multiple menus mm. in a takeaway way in which they couldn't in their physical space. So, you know, they, they even they were, you know, they were, there was innovation out there. There was stuff to... Yeah, stuff to do, and we lo- we've lost we've lost some really good instructors over time who've just gone who've just seen you know what's happening and who've gone back to the UK or they've gone to do something else, and it is a real shame for those people. Um, you know, I mean, we, we've we've lost I think we've lost one instructor to another ski school, and and that person was like, oh yeah, but isn't there enough work? And I, you feel a little bit like saying, well, <laughs> really. <laughs> It's, it's yeah so no new word no everyone was pretty cool um, but then you do get that thing where you're not hiring new people and yeah when a team doesn't have new people coming to a few new people each year um, but I think this year this year we, we're not expanding the team we're keeping it the same but we do have a few new ones coming in who will liven it up some really good ones and some mm. some new younger ones and that, that will sort of that will keep the team fresh that's uh, it's a curious thing, isn't it? That sometimes that sort of complaining about oh, I don't have enough work. It's like work doesn't just. God, yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to go down this road. Work doesn't <laughs> work doesn't just magically appear out of the air. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it it does requires. Yeah, yeah. It requires. This is. So Phil was sat in on a, some internal training I'm doing. So we're trying to get um, some training done online, which is like, ski instructors on Zoom is just like a disaster. Like, it's just, just not, <laughs> but we're trying it. And, you know, just trying to make everyone aware that just the amount of effort that goes into getting that 
customer standing there in front of you so that you can deliver mm. a half decent lesson. And it has a cost as well. It has a huge of cost, cost attached to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then there's sort of multiple channels for, 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 for marketing to, to, you know, yeah. for those clients to arrive in your funnel. Someone's got to convert the lead. Then someone's got to get that, that, that sale through the process into the diary, invoiced, you know, managed, confirmation sent, all of that sort of stuff yeah. before that person even turns up. And all the instructor has to do is get them to come back. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Give them a good time yeah. so they want to come back and spend. Yeah, well, that's yeah, it, yeah. isn't it? I mean, if they don't come back, if you or if you come back and are like, oh, let's just get another instructor, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're not a ski instructor, which is what we all say. You're quite hot on this, aren't you? Yeah, you are, like... you are their ski instructor. Mm. So, like, if I ski with someone this year, next year I want them to go, oh, let's go and ski with Julian again, or let's ski with whoever it is. You know, mm-hmm. we want them to have a, a strong bond with them. We want them to connect it and, and be... Mm. part of the of the holiday and we've seen as a school that those bonds vary a lot from instructor to instructor how do you measure that we measure it in terms of the the value of the return bookings okay so we put a number against each instructor Mm -hmm. and if after three if after three seasons i mean this probably sounds too generous but if after three seasons an instructor doesn't have um any return clients Mm. or really a less than that then, then that we say to them, well, you should do something else because, <laughs> you know, yeah. And what? But the problem with the problem often is that in the in the they come out of their getting their ski instructor education, which obsesses and absorbs so much energy, that and they come out of that and their their heads are full of technique and da di da di da di da di da di da di, and they talk about the industry, the what? The what? Do they do they, <laughs> do they mean the travel industry? Yeah, yeah. The what? The travel industry. Because that's what we're part of, and you, you people come on a holiday. Mm-hmm. They are travelling. They will, have, you know, the travel supplement. Mm-hmm. You're within the travel. You're a part of one type of holiday mm-hmm. within the travel industry, and, and your job is to connect with those clients and make them want to come back. Because if they don't come back, skiing is doomed. Yeah, you know. And I think there are, there are a lot of situations out there where, so yeah, we put a number on it, and then we actually set the priority in our school. Mm. According to how requested people are. Oh yeah, yeah. So the, Sorry, pe- Dishon, I got the people at the, the people at the <laughs> top are yeah. the most requested. Mm-hmm. The people at the top are the bottom are the least requested. Um, now they're all we do. They see some ski schools share the work out. So so they are like you know look, we'll all give out we'll you know you me Dave we'll start a ski school and let's say we'll we'll make sure we all get the same number of hours. And that's fine. But what if what if I'm what if Dave is getting all the is bringing all the clients back? You're bringing some back, and I'm bringing none back. Mm. But then I have to stop giving you work because I don't have enough hours. But that's the sort of little meritocratic Marxist mm. thing that we've set up. Mm. So who does that favour? That favours the instructor who isn't requested. That the, the, the evening out the hours system draws to it instructors who will not willingly get the clients to come back will not do what's necessary to mm-hmm. deliver the what I should think would be the standard product so I'm I hope I like to hope and they don't always like it you know some people prefer to be in a thing where it's we're all brothers and it's all the same level and it is a little bit internally competitive to be honest not too much mm-hmm. if you're half decent you'll get some requests and people move up and down you know so hopefully our system is yeah while it's competitive it, it just draw in the just draw in the good ones 
So a young, good instructor can join our school and move to the top. There are details within it. You know, there's the Patton group, there's a non-Patton group, mm. various other details, and some clients don't qualify for the points, as it were. But, um, yeah, so hopefully our system draws in the ones who are good, and then you, your position in the school is set by how good you are. It incentivises people. Yeah, yeah, it's set by how good you are, not how much I like you or Laura likes you or, or whatever it is, mm. you know. So it's hopefully a meritocratic system. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, you're talking on this particular subject, so I think that's an important one. So if you're not very good, go and work somewhere else. Well, yeah. Or you run you know, a really flat management structure like I do, where no one really knows who's in charge and who's not. <laughs> um, with, you're heavily involved within the Irish Association of Instructors, Phil. And you... Within that, obviously, it will go through. Julian just talked here about, like, you know, instructors pop out of the system at whatever level and their heads are full of technical info. Yeah. Where's the info within the instructor systems on things like that? Like how to get a client to return, how to look after a client really well, the marketing angle, how to promote yourself to people. Like, there is, as far as I remember, there isn't any of that. I don't think it's, it's. I hesitate to use the word taught, but I don't think it's it's part of what is learned by instructors in most pathways. I suspect the American pathway, mm. it may well be. Yeah, I can well imagine. Um, but in most other pathways, I don't think so. I, I believe um, the newest or the latest full manual with IAZ, mm. um, there was a chapter written, and I don't know if it's, if it's completed yet, um, by Pete Gillespie from mm-hmm. uh, the Snow Centre yeah, on the yeah. customer experience. Hi, Pete. And I think that Legend. not many Legend. people, like Julian said, they come through and they don't even think about that side of things. They want to. They also get way, way too technical to start with. Mm. Well, everyone does, they? But they because yeah. they because they've been through a system, whatever system it is. Well, they've had to show that technical knowledge and expertise. Mm. However, yeah, you need that when you you need to have it, mm. but it needs to be back here. Yeah. And when you're when you're in front of somebody, you only keep it simple. You do. It's about trying to teach the simple things. You don't. It? You don't need to show your client how much you know. Mm. How much you know comes out by how well you how how you improve their skill. Yeah. And how good a time they have. Yeah. And that's that's far more important. I mean, we we probably all know instructors who have only got. They may be hobby instructors. They get to level two, but they're very, very good mm. working with people. Yeah, you know, I've we, got a couple. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and I know level fours who are maybe not so good with people. Yeah, um, we've we picked up a guy two years ago. He he comes from a teaching background. He was working with uh, Interski yeah. in in the valley, and I I talked to some of these guys who were out for most of the season doing bits with Interski. Um, sort of middle-aged guys who who had managed to retire early or or were making their life something different. Mm. And um, put chat to him and it turns out his, his life experience was within education, within education for um, uh, pupil referral unit. Mm-hmm. And he was brilliant with people. And, and it still is, sorry, he's still around. So <laughs> he's very good with people. Yeah. And, and we always get some really good feedback when he works. And he in the UK or out here with our mm-hmm. groups so that to me is more important than obviously provided they're qualified to work where they're working 
that's way more important to me than how much technical knowledge they they they're able to spew out because that's so, not yeah. that as long as they know it yeah to the extent they need to it's it's how they bring it how they bring it out to the client or or athlete and how they then make changes in that in that person's skill mm. and give them a good time while doing it people often develop you know, it's easy, it would be easy to say well, it's down to their personality. It often is, you know, you have people who are great fun, funny, super sociable, mm. and they'll be really successful. And then you have people I've noticed over the years who are pretty boring, who develop a sort of teaching persona, which is more fun. Mm, and easy to deal with and easy going than their normal natural social oh god you're talking about me (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's true yeah it's true I had one instructor once who had (laughs) this person had I don't want to reveal who has has a um, Scottish person has to deal with in any like work meeting or whatever and it's it's quite rigid and static and quite like not a bundle of laughs, you know. It's not like we're going to laugh a bit in the in the warm up of the meeting, you know, and then we're going to deal with the thing and then have a good laugh at the end, and we'll get to where we, it would be like straight to business. Brr, it's not finish. cliche, is it? Well, yeah, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But, I mean, that was harsh. So big game. Yeah. He, 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 I mean, he he is he, Peter is you know he is like um he he is a bit like that when you speak to him he's he's he's, he's a bit you know he's. His human skills sometimes you're left doing a little bit like oh, Peter, you know. But when you listen to him teach, actually, he's like a bun- he's a bundle of laughs. Absolutely, you know? I think he's a bundle of laughs anyway. Yeah, so do I. They've got a fan. You've got to see through that that gruff Scottish facade. Yeah, you know? so I think the the point I'm, point yeah. I was trying to make is that you don't mm. have to be like you don't have to be like think of your if you're not if you don't feel like you could got an alternative career in stand up comedy, that doesn't mean you can't be a super good client instructor. Mm. Um, I'm thinking like of like the more this really struck me when when I when we had um, Zoe was was actually like your worldview changes slightly of teaching kids it's not about like I'm here to make this kid better you know it's like this once you have that kind of world experience of that particular thing you realise actually especially with kids teaching, I think, and, and I've really taken this on board in the last few years. It's like, now we're here to make sure that this kid like falls in love with skiing, first mm. and foremost. This is not about me telling you that you've got to be there on this ski and you've got to be doing the right thing and you've got to push it this time and all that sort of stuff, right? It's not about that. And a lot of teaching isn't about that. A lot of teaching is about trying to... You know, I remember talking to Jazz about this and he was saying, looking for the most simple thing that he could do with a client skiing that would help them get more out of the mountain. It ain't about me jamming you with technical info for three hours. It's about me saying, this thing here that I'm gonna tell you is the the easiest way for you to get more out of your skiing for less effort. And you'll have a better time as a result. And on the lift, we're not even gonna talk about tech, we're just gonna chat about what's going on in your life. And we are not, you know, it's this. There is a there is an emphasis, I think, in in the instructor systems on on tech, but there certainly isn't. Sorry, in certain instructor systems, there is certainly not enough emphasis on how to be a great host on the mountain and to introduce that client to your world, yeah. you know, the, where you live. Um, and it's uh, that's a, I think it's a big miss actually. 
certainly for, for employers, you know, mm. when you're sitting around here around the table thinking, right, mm. who are we going to have for this year? Um, that That's already hard enough with one of the topics that we're going to go on to, like trying to find staff. But secondly, it's like now it's going to be, okay, now I've found some staff. Are those people going to be really, really good when I present them in front of the client? Because at that point, as an employer, the lesson is out of your control. So up to that point, you kind of, the sales process, the funnel to get the clients into your sales process, the the, the booking process is all controllable to a certain extent. Yeah. But then, once they arrive in front of your client, in, in front of your teacher, if he's turning up hungover, he's had a bad day, or, or you know he's round with his missus or whatever, like then it goes out of your control. It's up to them to deliver a a decent session, yeah. irrespective of how they're feeling on that day, because that person's paid a fortune for it. It's a lot of money to have a ski lesson. Yeah. No. Don't really know. I'm going at that point. I'm just ranting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some. Yeah. That 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 point you you were saying about looking at what's what can you do, the simplest thing you can give them to mm. change your skiing. It's interesting because last season when I came and did some work with you and I I had a few private lessons. Mm. I hadn't. Yeah, a lot of private lessons. I, I did. I, yeah, I did a few. <laughs> but um, I hadn't been in the teaching clients environment for a number of years. Yeah. You know, all my stuff is is working with. Uh, bringing young coaches through and working with athletes and that is that's what we do we look mm. for and that's what I did on those lessons what is the easiest you know almost what's the easiest win yeah. what can I give you yeah, yeah. that's going to help you with the least effort and give you the most out of these three hours I've got with you mm. and um, I'll be honest I think that's probably the way that everybody should look at it mm. you know you go for the most the, the easiest way to, to improve how they're skiing and don't throw tons of stuff at them. But is that is that taught anywhere? I never remember hearing anything like that when I was going through it should, various It should be, yeah. I mean we go through we go through stuff where we, we talk about TP, which for those uninitiated is is, is a, another acronym. one of the hundreds of acronyms we use, which <laughs> stands for technical tactical Physical, something, something, something. Psychological equipment and environment. Yeah, so you, you. You, you, instead of shouting out, well, like, F I, 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 fun, <laughs> TP. But I have, to, I, have to <laughs> I have to teach it to people. But um, so what you're doing is rather than throwing technical. And I always say to people coming through that, I, that are coming through courses that I'm running, technical is the rookie coach's default, mm -hmm. and it, it really is because they want to show how much technical knowledge they have. Yeah. Whereas you need to forget using any technical knowledge with many clients. Mm -hmm. You always get the ones that want it. Mm -hmm. And and work with the other five elements, you mm -hmm. know, tactical, the line you take, the environment, the slope you're on, the conditions you're skiing them in. You know, you can ask somebody to perform a task mm -hmm. and by changing the environment or by changing the parameters of it without giving any technical feedback, you can make great changes in the skiing. Yeah, yeah without talking about exactly what they're doing and where they're pressuring the ski and all of that stuff. There's mm. no need for, for it with many, many clients. Yeah. I and mean, as I say, as long as you understand what you're doing yeah. and why it's happening, and um, I've, I've worked with people I question whether they understand <laughs> why it's happening, but, you know, it's, um, it, gives a, it gives a better a better experience for the client because mm. they're not having to think about, I need to do this exact movement here and... Right. To just do it, performing the task, 
and actually by moving the parameter of the task, you're you're improving them, and they can feel that. Yeah. Anything to add? To no, that? no, nothing, nothing. I've, I've listened to some of the other podcasts you've done with people talking about technical stuff, and it's fascinating. Um, I don't do so much of the instructor training as I used to. I used to do a lot of it. I still do some, mm. um, but I, I think you know, you, you can't. Sometimes people come and they're like to up to me, and they're like, "Well, Jim, I'm not really comfortable." You know, we have this system where we rank them by how how requested they are. And I said, "Well, really, it's the most important thing." And they're like, yeah, but I don't have to, I don't really feel comfortable like selling myself. And you know, you don't have to sell yourself. You just have to give them a good, mm. a good time. Yeah. And then they will, they will automatically mm. come back. You know, I mean, if, if selling yourself means at the end of the lesson, you say, hey, I love teaching you. Um, if you'd like to do this again tomorrow afternoon, I'm free. Or if I'm not free, someone else is or whatever. Mm. Then that really isn't, there's really nothing about that. But I think like skier analysis customer focus are the, the key things and without that you enter a, a sort of tradition where let's say we don't teach ski instruct let's say we don't teach skier analysis or customer service to a whole generation of gappies and then 10 years later one of those gappies is or well, three or four of those gappies are examiners mm -hmm. what are they going to introduce only what they've learned mm -hmm. plus the bit of experience they've had since yeah so you're not you're no longer your starting point is no longer yeah is no longer based on a rigorous thing so well especially I when think, that, 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 are we already seeing that though are we already seeing that a little bit where there's so much focus on performance mm. gap performance three, yeah. level three four gap performance it's like where is the where is the where's the gap for learning how to teach effectively yeah I mean it's hard balance isn't it because you can't there isn't yeah is it yeah, it's, they, they, it's really it's, interesting. Go on, no, go on. It's really interesting coming from a completely different background. Mm. Um, and they, it's very clear that if you're teaching high level clients, you need to be able to ski to a high level. Mm -hmm. But there's a fantastic example of um, he's retired, he's been retired a few years now, but you guys will know of it's a mm -hmm. If you've ever seen his dad ski, who is his coach and who's coach for the for the team, yeah. the creation team, is awful. But his knowledge and his ability to get performance out of those skiers yeah. was immense. Yeah. And there are other coaches like that. All, you see all, him all you see football, uh, soccer, yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean I know we're talking about coaching and instructing slightly differently there, but you know, as long as you can ski to the level of your the level slightly above your client, mm. if you've got that that knowledge and that ability to analyse their skiing and give them, going back to what we said earlier, what's the simplest thing I can do to make you better? Mm. If you can analyse that and do it, then that makes you, it doesn't matter how good a skier you are. Yeah. I mean, there are some great skiers. There's been some great racers, certainly British ones, that have stepped into coaching and they've not been so good at coaching. Mm -hmm. yeah. But there's an assumption sometimes, I think, that the better a skier you are, the better a teacher or, or coach you are. There's an yeah. inspiration, also there is an inspiration factor, isn't there? There's that, you know, there like is we, that to it, yeah. You know, we've had some ex-Olympians work for us, and just that fact alone is yeah. buzz, you know, for the, yeah, yeah, for the instructors. Yeah, for and sure. They, are, well, they were good coaches too, but it does have a certain... We had one lady work for us from the 1970 Olympics, I think. Mm -hmm. She was really, so it's mm. really cool. Like a Swiss legend, you know, brilliant. For me, it was anyway. I was like, wow, cool. You know. Stars in your eyes. The, the, the teaching stuff and the skiing stuff, 
give you another good example. Like, if you were in charge of the training body now, or Bayesi, or something like that, you have to have a balance. So you, well, okay, we've got a 10, 10, 15 day period of training. Are we going to make them do teaching all the time? Mm. And then you've got the nuts and bolts of keeping a group safe, t- a progression to follow, a basic knowledge that someone can then take off and begin a career with. You've got to get that in there. And you've also got to produce people who can ski to a minimum level. Mm-hmm. And the level, you know, the hard thing, isn't it? I mean, talking to an Italian instructor two weeks ago, and he was like, well, I'm, a, I'm an Italian race coach. I mean, I did the basic instructor qualification years ago, and then I did my, then I did my high-level coaching afterwards. The basic qualification, he just, he just waved away, like, is his maestro de ski, mm-hmm. which is the level four. Mm. which to anyone in you know it's a lot of like big fish small pond type thing for that guy he's like one of the coaches in Italy and he's lifted himself up above from the pool of just standard instructors but a standard instructor in Italy there aren't that I mean there are, there are is equivalent to a, our level four which is a really high status mm-hmm. qualification within some communities and then you know a level two who work who, a level two in our system who goes to work on a tiny dry slope somewhere where everyone say has done a shorter qualification with Snowspot England or Scotland or whatever, they will be one of the best qualified people there. Mm. So you do you do have these these different levels. But if you were in that position and you were trying to design a thing, you have to say, well, how, how well do they have to ski? And how much time do we have to spend on teaching? And with the skiing stuff, I had a... I've been just joking around for years with people. I make these jokes and I'm trying to sort of work out what, I, what it is I'm saying but in a level one course a basic you know your, your worst instructor so look at the people that your pathway produces each year and say and answer the question should they be able to do a parallel turn go on let's go yeah. keep going with that qualification so um, yeah I mean a parallel turn is like a basic Maneuver, and I had some. I had actually um, some people here for for a meal in the winter, and there were three examiners from three different systems. And afterwards, we we're on the on the whiskies, and I said, "Come on, can you?" Doesn't sound like a very fun night, does it? Can you? Should should your level ones? Do your level ones have to be able to do a parallel? And everyone's like started looking at the floor and feeling awkward because I know, I know that they let you know a, there's a bit of a heel swing or, or something going on and people do that consistently can't do a parallel and pass Mm -hmm. and I think that there has to be a certain minimum level of magic Mm. that all instructors should have and if you set the entrance point too low you will lose it won't be attractive to potential employers like for me I think you have to be a, a, a strong parallel skier I mean, if people, you know, hopefully not too many <laughs> public skiers here, we don't employ level ones, or we try and go for, for higher levels, threes, twos with experience, threes and fours. But for the very first level, they should be a skier. You know, I mean, I went years ago, 15 years ago, for, for, for a meeting with the head of one of the European Ski Instructor Associations, and he said to me, he made the criticism of, of my association, he said, it's not an association, it's a ski school pretending to be one. And I was shocked. And what, what he meant was is that he got feedback from <coughs> Swiss people yep. saying these groups come past who are trainee instructors, but they can't be instructors because they're not parallel. 
Now, yes. you, you go to Argentina and go, you go to Argentina at the end of the season in September, watch their courses running from the very first level. And I've been there and seen it, seen this. The very first level, they're all parallel, narrow stance, arms in a good position. Now, slightly positional approach, mm. but that's just their thing, so that's okay. But they're all consistent, centered, three joints flexed, over the skis, arms out. They all look like ski instructors. Is that, a, is that something that's not valid anymore? Should we all just be waving our arms around and, and stemming into every turn? I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't personally think so. And I think that you put, if I put a uniform on someone, then they should, first turn, they should look like a ski instructor. And by that, you mean, I mean something that if someone was to follow them and copy them, which happens a lot, they would be copying something good. They'd be copying that the elements of a good skier yeah. are visible to them immediately. In, from in, level one yeah, upwards. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I'd like to defend the arm flappers because I'm one of them. But the, uh, <laughs> Maybe an inside arm drops slightly on some turns. Know, no, no, no. Just slightly. Yeah, yeah. Just that's like okay. that's okay yeah, for you. That's okay for me. I know I'm a real. Like, I'll let you off. I look like Big yeah. Bird. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But his elbow above <laughs> the neck is like. <laughs> mouth the, open. I just well the thing is once you've passed all your exams you just do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> the, the, the unless you want to look like a ski instructor. Yeah yeah yeah. Oh, is there a difference between a ski instructor and a ski school boss? Well you look at look at yeah. I mean, ski instructor normally ski better than a ski school boss. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The but when you go to France and you go to Italy, uh, our our neighbours here, yeah. you cannot get into the ski instructor formation system in France without doing the test technique yeah you have to ski slalom proper slalom at yeah. a high level in Italy as I understand it to get into it you have to be skiing Euro test the Euro test is their point of entry yeah so isn't it fair to say and I'm in Gap Central here in Verbier right? <laughs> well only temporarily while the, while you the rest know, of the world comes you know. isn't it isn't it the case that maybe the yeah, go on, I'll say it. It, it, it the, the bar isn't high enough, one. Two, someone's making money out of convincing people that they're ski instructors. When actually, arguably, a lot of those people are going around calling themselves ski instructors, but they're actually not skiing or teaching at, at a halfway decent level. If at all. Yeah. Something Is that fair to say? Yeah. Are we yeah. then handing over people's children to those people and saying, there you go, there's your ski instructor. He's a ski instructor because he's dressed I mean, in I'm this not, uniform. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not either. I'm not, But, yeah. um, you know... You've got to ask a question. Certainly at level one mm. and, and a little at level two, what are those people going to do? Mm. Now, with level one, that qualifies them to work in a closed environment. So in the UK, in on a dry slope or on an indoor centre. Now... You can put all the parameters you want on a qualification, even if you put parameters on it, you can only teach up to basic parallel. But those businesses within the UK, certainly the indoor centres, will use, the business model is such, they'll use the, the lowest qualified, sorry, sort of instructors in terms of cost, mm. if they can, because they, they, won't, they won't pay more for a level two or a level three. They'll, they'll have a standard wage structure just for an instructor. So a level one could be teaching... Um, someone who can ski parallel quite well. Mm -hmm. So you want they, they need to be 
skiing at that level. Yeah. Because like Julian rightly says, yeah. even if if they explain something and demonstrate something that looks slightly different, their clients are gonna are gonna copy what they see more likely than what they've been told. Yeah. And with with I mean we say this all the time with um, candidate coaches coming through, even when you're just free skiing with your group. Think about your form on the hill and how you ski. Yeah. Don't be lazy. Look like an instructor. Because they well, look, like a, look like a good skier. Yeah. Yeah. Respect be- the jacket. Because your group hmm. will, whether they, whether it's intentional or whether it's subconscious, they will watch you and things you do, they will copy. Mm-hmm. So it's really important. So, so I mean, going back to the level one, yes, it should it should be higher because you know that if they do work in those kind of environments, the likelihood is they will get a, a client who is a half decent skier and they need to be able to ski at that level now I wonder though whether this will provoke I bet you I'll get one or two emails from people saying oh you're denigrating the level of the one and twos you know people who've got level ones and twos and you know I was a level two once and all that sort of stuff well, someone then, had yeah. to give me my start in the industry but th- that that surely I don't think that those people would necessarily argue that with me wouldn't you want to be the best that you know yeah it's important for those people that that those levels are kept pretty high yeah and that people you know it's something worth attaining yeah the standard is consistent and that it's a lot to get you know if you've got three weeks to get someone to a level one or two it's a a lot of stuff to get in there and then you have after that a basic instructor who can start a career and won't you know can teach a lesson Mm. Um, can go into a ski school, operate, teach a lesson, and uh, be successful. You know, we've you, the whole what level are you thing is less important than people think when they're in it. You know how 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 they teach, how the clients respond. I mean, if you were if you were coaching how your how your how your athletes perform, it's yeah, sure. pretty highly measured, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's not it's not just a do they come back to that resource and book through that ski school again you know you can measure it in a very precise way with fist points and and so on or, or bass points or whatever mm. but I would take you back to the point of the kind of the gap program sausage machine where you're pushing people through this kind of thing they're coming out the other end but what and yeah there'll be certain people who come out with their level two who, who go on to be successful instructors I'm yeah. one of them so I'm not I'm not denigrating that by any means, but I've, as I was going through it, I thought to myself, this isn't enough. Yeah. This certainly isn't enough teaching. You can go all the way through to a basic level four, having only done 200 hour, uh, 400 hours of, or 470 hours yeah. of ski school experience, which mm. is nothing. And that's, the, that's one of the key, one of the key semantics here, ski school experience. Yeah, you real know, experience. I mean, you've got to start, everyone's got to start somewhere. I get that. But what I think you can prepare people better to be good instructors for yeah. people that you might you you and you us we might want to employ, as opposed to how it stands now. It's like someone presents themselves to you. I've got a level two. I'm like, okay, you're taking a risk effectively on on the interview that you do yeah. with that person as to whether you think they're going to have the magic. And I not. think I think and that's a, it's very good that people who work in Switzerland and people who work in real ski schools can get to, when I say that, I mean not people who, who work in, say, France, where 
it's basically impossible, very difficult to employ anyone. Mm -hmm. So if you're employing instructors and you're looking at their real-world performance and what skills they come with, that's a great place to be to be an examiner. Yeah. You know, because you, you can then look at people and go, okay, would this person perform? If you're working in Valdezere and you're independent and you're not employing anyone and you know they're never going to work for you, be able to work for you for at least another seven years mm -hmm. or however long it takes them to complete the, the, the courses and the tests, then, you, you know, it, it, it's easy then, I think, to veer off in um, shiny objects, spurious directions that are not mm. necessarily... I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, an old, an old cudgeon, but... I think it's important like the keep the standards Inevitable. up, you know. Yeah. And if you even if you were allowed to stem ten years ago on your and it started about then, on your level two, mm. it doesn't mean like that we can you, you can't change that and you can't improve that. And if that means more people don't pass or the level is maintained more strictly, that is not worse, it's more fair. Yeah. And it's more supportive of the people who've been through before and it actually over time makes the thing more desirable. Valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, um, I wonder if there isn't as, uh, just, I probably should just write this down for myself, but there's probably a, it's probably an argument for, um, you know, running your own kind of internship kind of thing, you know, so like you, you, you put it out there and say, if, like, actually, if you are a young person out there and you are very serious about getting into the industry, contact me, but be prepared to come and spend a season shadowing. Yeah. Right. Learn your trade before you go off and you do, you know, learn your craft and we'll sponsor you maybe through your exams and you commit to working for us for five years or something like that. Like if you're, you know, but I don't know how many people there are out there. Like we're kind of moving on, we're, we're, we're kind of erring yeah. onto something you and I have spoken about yeah. a little bit there. I mean, I, when I was coming through coaching, I was working in industry and I did a lot of my coaching on the, on the side and I went away. And I work for nothing. Yeah. Uh, expenses, mm. you know. Um, and you're finding, as we move forward in time, less people willing to do that. Oh, are you about to do the grumpy old man? All no, young people. No, are no, entitled there, there, there are some, but you, yeah. you find everybody wants paying <laughs> top dollar for even if they've got no experience yeah. or, or lower level qualifications. Yeah. And I think so it becomes more difficult to, to attract. Mm. people to do something like that which will give them so much more than a couple of paid weeks mm. in a season I, th I thought when I got into this you know place where I am now I thought I'd be getting messages and stuff from people saying hey I'm looking to get into the industry is there anything like, nothing to get anything like that I just you know I just get half assed emails and, and badly spelt CVs and stuff and what's the pay rate yeah Really? Yeah, like it's 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 a shame. But I mean, you can you can. But the industry doesn't support it. That's no. the only thing because you can't make a living uh, annually out of it. So you've got to while you're while you're at in, in you know swimming around in the lower levels, you have to do a summer winter thing. Yeah. And so it's not everyone it wants to yeah. do that. It is it is really hard to make a good living out of ski instructing, um, whether you're in France or in outside France because France just for your listeners who don't understand is very highly regulated and it's almost impossible you know only a very tiny proportion of all the people who want to become ski instructors can work there mm -hmm. it is even hard there because you know I mean the average client skiing won't realize that when they when they turn up in a peak week you know in say you turn up in new year week in any resort three weeks before there was no snow 
no skiing, often. Yeah. No staff. No, and the whole thing has been put together for those. As it is weeks. now, right? As it is now. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in three or four weeks' time, it'll be absolutely round and winter wonderland. Yeah. And then two weeks after you go home with your kids, and they're all back in school, there might be some people coming. You know, but there won't be that many. So all these people who are looking after you, they have been organised um, for these periods. So, you know, when people go, oh, do you have, can I have an instructor tomorrow afternoon? Well, like there's someone just standing around with the qualifications and skills to look after you and your kids safely. There are, and that's where the ski schools come in. Mm-hmm. And that's where being independent is hard. It's harder for the, you know, if the resort has a lot of independence, and that's great for the independence, it actually makes it quite, you know, there's a demand for ski lessons and there's there's a supply of ski instructors. What is the most efficient way to mm. to make that happen? It's probably several medium-sized ski schools mm. competing with each other for all all bits. I mean, yeah. if you... Not 24 like there is in Verbier. No, there's only really there's only really four or five here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's only oh, really four or five. More people have licences, but often they're, they're basically independent or two or three guys together. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of people who do, you know, who can offer like a range of stuff, there's there's five, mm. six, some proper, you know, main ski schools, and the rest, the there's hockey stick, you know, there's a few big ones, yeah. one really big one, the Swiss one, and then, poof, mm. and it goes down, and th- and those other ski schools are great, and they've got their niches and whatever, but um, I mean, you're looking at learning about learning learning a lot about say Val d'Isere and those places, mm. big incentive to go independent. Mm. If you if you're a ski instructor there, why not? You know you have your clients in the peak weeks, you get all the money, nearly all of it, and um, you can you can make hay. Um, but a lot of people still want to work for a ski school because you get you know it is a better way to to fill up the, and the not days. Everyone and wants your, to search for their own work, right? Yeah, not everyone wants to do do that, and mm. it does turn I think into a little bit of a popularity contest, you know. Like someone, someone was describing the situation in Maribel to me, and this guy said, "There are some people who are working in teams with certain chalets, which are Courchevel, Maribel, which are owned by you know very wealthy clients from the Middle East and stuff, and and they're all charging a thousand a day. And then there's like a range, and it goes down to, you know, the the guy who is charging three hundred a day, and you can book him on the Monday of." New Year week, mm. and he's either very shy, very uncommercial, or very bad. <laughs> so, like when I say in my newsletters, book early, book early, because you you know the, the people like looking for a new instructor for New Year week. This now three weeks away, yeah. four weeks away is really hard. It's like nearly nearly impossible. A month away, mm-hmm. um, and people, the clients understand that. You know, here they book much later, there they book mm. much earlier. Um, yeah. It is. Do you do, going back to just a little bit before that? Do you do you ever come across in your travels around the the, the UK dry slope scene? Scheme. Do you um, do you come across like promising young coaches, people that that could make it in the industry with like a bit of a mentorship yeah. thing? I mean, this is a real thing that we could take on, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Where we say to people, you know, if you if you are interested in in if you're out there listening to this and you're interested in getting into the industry and you're serious about it, write to me or write to Phil. I can put you know put your hand up. Well, we've, we've because because yeah. you know they're the sort of people we'd, we'd all really like to to hear from, isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, once I've taken the green for the coaching, yeah. you can have the others. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've taken all the best players. If, if, you, want to, <laughs> no, if but, you want to get up at 5am in Sasfeo, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. gates up and down. <laughs> set, in, set in the course under floodlights in, in Maribel nice for the British room camps. And go for a late lunch. Um, no thanks. Well, yes, and that's why we worked with IASI to introduce the school's level one instructor course. Mm. You know, to A, to... There is a drop-off rate at 16 or so yeah. of ski, kids who are doing ski racing, and some of them, their parents have spent small fortune getting to a really good standard of skiing. Okay, they're never going to get to the World Cup, mm. but their level of skiing yeah. is way, way They higher. can do a parallel turn. They, they can do a <laughs> parallel turn, yeah. And really? some, some of them, not a bad parallel turn. Um, Sign them up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we introduced that, that they can do at 15. Mm. and they get their licence at 16 so we basically on the back of the same kind of thinking that you've mm. got there um, we've since introduced a, a system instructors course to give them some knowledge at 14 which is two days Yeah. but yes the, the simple answer is yes 30 kids have qualified through that in the first year we've run it okay. so there are so 30 sure, kids there at least that there are is for sure an appetite for yeah. that um, within the UK and it's something we're looking to build on. That could be, we could do something there, couldn't yeah. we? We could do like a, a program between us somehow. Yeah. If only the Brexit passports weren't getting in the way of all that stuff. Should we move on to Brexit? I think this is like the most... Do you really want to talk it's about been, Brexit? It's been, it's been no, said no. now, so... It's come back. It's come back to haunt us. The, word, the word's been said. It never went away. It was just hidden. I've, right, here we go. I'll put my cards on the table. I've lost one, two, three, four. I, last year I had a great team, best team I've ever had. Would have had exactly the same this, this year. And I've lost, yeah, four. Three or four people. As a, like high quality people that I would want on my team. And Grant. And Grant. And Grant. <laughs> Sorry, Grant. Uh, and, uh, Mean. And mean about his instructors. Me. I love, I love all man. He's um, no, he's and good. everyone loved Grant last year as well. And all these guys can't just can't come anymore, right? Because of no. Brexit. And these decisions are being made at much higher levels than me. But it's it's a crying shame. I don't know um, about you, but yeah. my thought on why this has happened. The French, the French, basically said. No short-term work permits, or yeah. or make it difficult to get short-term work permits. Yeah, the Swiss looked at that and went, "There's going to be a glut of British qualified ski instructors, and they're going to come here." Yeah. So the Swiss went, "No short-term work permits," mm. and the Italians have just gone, "Well, we haven't got a process, so we're not going to put one in place now." <laughs> um, so the, the Italians don't have a process in place. I suspect they will. I th- I, sus- I also suspect within a couple of years, mm. things will level out. There will be processes in place, and that can happen. But I think in that during that time. We're going to lose people from the instruction and coaching industry because they can't wait it out yeah. without having some kind of income. They'll be the lucky ones um, who who can go and work within the parents' business temporarily and come back. Mm-hmm. Grant would possibly be one of them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there, there'll be the others that have to go and get a job, and that is just you know unfortunate an unfortunate fact of life because of yeah. Brexit. Now, I know you've been oh. you know, you've been thinking about this for many years and seeing it coming. Oh, yeah, uh, I've been trying. Well, here, despite despite warning me, I didn't take any notice of it. But the oh, that's right. That's right. It, I can't it. Oh, no, 
It's very nice of you to do that. But you've been planning this in Verbier for a while, but it's affected you, I hear, more in Zermatt. Oh, how'd you so, hear that? Well, it's a small world. It is true, it is true. We're a bit more Brexit-proofed here than we were in Zermatt. Mm. Um, we've, you know, we've lost, again, like you in, Zermatt, like you in Zermatt, we've lost, um, we've lost some good instructors. All right. Um, ready? Yeah, so if I ask Steve a question, can I be a co-host? No, you can't be. <laughs> <laughs> Save that. So we're here in Verbier with my co-host uh, Dave Burrows. Stop it. Now, can I be co-something? No, you can't be co oh, this no, no, no. You, you are under the the un, you are under misunderstanding that this, there's some sort of democracy going on here. Yeah, my co-host and I will introduce uh, <laughs> Steve Hinman. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, thank you. So the knock on the door was Steve, and Steve has popped round to... Julian's house. Do you want the milk? Yes, please. It's okay to say if you want the milk. This is a, a live thing. <laughs> uh, Steve's working for you this season. That's, here regular, that's regular cow milk, is that okay? That's, that's fine, yeah. yeah. Soy milk. Um, Steve's working for you. You've got, you can't, you can't use soy anymore. I went into a cafe in London. They were like, oh no, we don't have soy. Right. We have goat or almond. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Move mm-hmm. on, move on. Right. Places I hang out. Soy is, soy is. Don't do that. That was too easy. So Steve, welcome to the Christmas special. Well, thank you. Uh, surprise guest. Um, now, what brings you to Switzerland? I know you just told me, but tell everybody else. Well, um, my wife has uh, come here to work for an NGO in Geneva, and, uh, and I took the advantage to look for a, a, a teaching job in Verbier, and uh, I found this guy on your podcast and loved his philosophy about teaching. Can't believe it. This guy is yeah. now a recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am single as well. <laughs> have you um? Have you put your invoice in for commission? I know. Well, it depends how much he's paying. Find paying, his feet. Not paying very much. You know, yes, one franc per hour that Steve teaches. Yeah. Well, you, you pay him according to what the US ski resorts pay their staff. I think that's any. I think that's respectful and fair. Yeah. yeah. One franc an hour till he brings himself. Yeah. yeah. So, except that I was teaching at Telluride. Ah, oh, is that? Yeah, oh, see. Okay. Yeah. See, they play, they Even play. less. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, I'm just going to jump back one step, back to something we were talking about in, in the first bit, um, especially now that Steve's here, because we were talking about uh, customer relations within ski school formation or... Uh, Ski school formation, ski school formation, and national ski instructor Association. associations. So, awareness of things like marketing, customer care, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and the general conclusion that we were rattling on about three grumpy old men in a room was that oh, there's not enough, and you know, there's too much, uh, there's too much focus on tech technique uh, over and above the client experience within the PSIA. Um, how does that look? How much focus is there on that guest experience during the the, 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 the PSIA formation as you go through the various levels? Oh, okay, as you go up through the... Uh, as you go through the pyramid, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Well, in the last two, three years, and maybe a little more, but it started about three years ago, um, a whole new focus on people skills. So a part of the exam now is just there's tech, there's there's skiing, there's teaching, and there's a whole, always a fourth one, but mm-hmm. there's a whole very big focus on people skills. Okay. And so um, there's manuals now to support it. There's, there's uh, clinics to support it. 
I don't know what the current exam, how it does it. Yeah. You know, how it's incorporated in that, because that's always the hard thing. How do you... Yeah, how do you examine people's skills, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you tell someone didn't make Yeah, you've got no people's skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the document it in some objective way. You know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The Ski Club of Great Britain used to have a... Um, uh, a drinks party assessment for their on their oh come on yeah on their, how well you could this work is a, a ski room. club that used to install uh, reps into all the resorts okay <laughs> and um, they would reps they offer like a social ski program and it, it draws in the resorts put them up and give them a lift pass and they on their reps course mm. that they used to do at the end they would have this drinks party and there'd be people in amongst the crowd who were secret assessors and they would they would have to hobnob um, for the evening pre-dinner drinks I think and you'd be assessed on your, oh, your wow. hobnobbing on your hobnobbing yeah on your social skills and to be fair I mean it's a way to do it wasn't it I mean I'd, yeah. very weird I mean I'd see people actually trying to do that I mean, and this was at what what age what, I mean what years oh my years? god these people are mostly <laughs> no I mean what uh, was it the 70s 80s no this is up until a few years ago I, believe, yeah. <laughs> I just asked because I come from the, the cross country the Nordic background we yeah. call ourselves the, the, as part of the Nordic demo team and we prided ourselves as bringing festival into PSIA mm-hmm. being oh, yeah. that our clinics our exams were done more as a festival in other words why do people go skiing to have fun right yeah. so then why should not the instructor yeah. training mm-hmm. instructor examining process be about a festival and, uh, but then you started to realize the people running the festival were also assessing your festival, <laughs> your, your ability to be a festival person. Your festivalness. A, fe- yeah, <laughs> a festivalier, whatever. Uh, really? Uh, which was very effective and it helped shape the culture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then as it got more and more, we were always the outsiders because what was Nordic people, you know, the PSA just tolerated us and then we got incorporated and then pretty much we got structured into it and the festival got. And this was an event that you had to go to? And it was just kind of how the whole, it was more the attitude of the whole PSA Nordic yeah. uh, contingent, if you will, mm-hmm. led from the top by a, a very influential guy named Tony Forrest, who had a Can big influence on, on this. And what, uh, just to take you back one step, it, within that sort of um, customer relations part of what they were talking about, what sort of things do they talk about within that? Well, it's just a matter of truly... Um, Letting people feel comfortable with who they are at the moment, wherever mm-hmm. they're at, instead of trying to be somebody they're not. Be that being a customer or an instructor. Yeah. You know, because if you're trying to be someone else, you're not really being who you are. You're not giving everything you can give. Yeah. And you also can't learn if you're trying to be, if you're think you should be a certain way or do things a certain way until you realize where you're at. It's like the old analogy of a map. Mm-hmm. A map is completely worthless unless you know where you're at. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. This was proven by Google getting me here. Google had no idea where I was at in Peru. <laughs> no one could find it. No, no one could find the eagle's nest. You, you managed to find it. Okay. I was surprised. I was surprised. Um, okay, so so then they put essentially they put the learner, well, I guess at the centre of everything. Like you know, yeah, well, for sure. a lot of instructor associations say that they do that, but that's not what I see in the manuals at all. Right. I see a lot of tech. Mm-hmm. You've well, got to have that in there. Yeah, yeah you have, we so agreed that earlier. Yeah, you have to have the tech, but the, 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 you know, what is the client's kind of, this is a, this is a new thing. Like, you know, where, where is the client right now? When, when I was examining ski instructors, I often wanted to have an additional box for personality. Because mm. there were some people I 
I had to fail, who I knew would be great instructors, but they were perhaps they skiing wasn't there yet or something. And there were other people who had all the ticks in the boxes, good skiing and a bit of knowledge and stuff, and the, but they were just not, they were just not going to work or gel with the clients, you know, they were mm -hmm. too... In an objective way, they were okay, but no, we've all met way, people like that, right? You yeah, know, what, hard, are, what are you yeah. in this for? Yeah, how do you? Yeah. I mean, the question that's always, that? always asked, I think, very hard to answer is: Can you teach someone? Can you help someone develop that? That, or do they have it? Do they walk in and have it, yeah, and then you develop the teaching, skiing, technical side. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you able to relate to people? Is that a learnable skill? Yeah. I know that. When I first started teaching, yeah, many many years ago, nineteen fifty four, yeah, nineteen eighty four. When everything much. was new, nineteen eighty four. So I, I I'm I'm much older than that. So you drove up in your white Ferrari Testarossa. I, I wasn't driving at times. Yeah. So I hadn't passed the test. I Dave was born. I'd gone skiing with the school at twelve. Skied two days. Hurt my ankle. Didn't ski again. Yeah. Applied for a job as a trainee ski instructor <laughs> at my local dry slope in Harlow, which is now a housing estate. And went along and got taken on. Clearly not on my yeah. skiing ability. So, I mean, later my my boss at the time, this guy called Mike Hammond, who is still teaching in his early seventies in Morsey. One leg. One leg. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Oh, I know um, that guy. What a legend. Yeah. 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 Um, he said to me, we took you on because we thought you would work with people and we can teach you to ski. Yeah. So that's, that's quite an interesting sort of yeah. anecdote to throw in what you're talking about. It's, mm -hmm. um, I think people can be taught or, or, or developed. Let's yeah. not say taught, yeah, yes, they can yes. be developed. But I've certainly met some people that it would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to do so yeah. <laughs> over the years. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think he went the other way at Telluride a couple of years ago because the problem there is housing. Mm -hmm. So we'd have people go through snow, we call it snow college. They get offered a job. They couldn't find work. They couldn't find housing. Mm. And now there's 15 people that we hired that can't work. Yeah. So we offered people housing. We offered the job early and then based on personality and interview, brought them on and it kind of worked, but... More than you'd think, like, oh, actually, you can't ski, and mm. you're not going to be able to ski within this year. You yeah. have to even teach what we thought. So it can go the op opposite yeah. way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There needs to be a blend. I heard about a guy in Ireland who ran the dry... Is it just a rumour I heard about the, the dry slope in Ireland where each year they would take on, say, 12 instructors, and this guy took on... Instead of taking on 12 keen skiers like you normally would and putting them on the basic course and mm -hmm. turning them into structures. He took on six people like that who were regular skiers and he took on six people who were professional salesmen. Oh yeah? Like from local companies, taught them to ski, Yeah. put them on the ASCII, whatever level one, you know, the yeah. entry level course and then put them to work. And he had his, you know, beginner class level one, level. you know, had his three and his return rate was much, much higher Really? It's just a story I've heard once. I, don't, <laughs> I haven't been able to track any truth through it, but by hiring these salesmen, he was much... That, um, they would, Yeah, they were just perhaps client-focused, you know. You want this um, to be true. Yeah, and if you are... It's an urban, urban myth. <laughs> yeah, it's an urban myth, but I did hear that, and that was true, so... Mm. Um, well, it, you know, it fits instructors are the real estate agents of the summer, and the <laughs> ski yeah, patrollers yeah. are yeah. the carpenters, you know. Yeah. So. Oh, really? Is that, is, that a, is that a thing? Oh, it's very... And it's... Uh, 
it like most stereotypes it has a lot of really truth to it yeah, yeah. <laughs> stereotypes is this for a reason uh, yeah. yeah right there's a subtle ski instructor yeah. hate in that in that story <laughs> oh yes there is we um I would like to talk to you about um, the place of digital tech within skiing. Don't all look so confused at the same time. The 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 what I uh, this came out of a, a recent meeting that I had about a product called Carve. Yep. Apparently, the next big thing. We all know about it. Um, Phil's already made the face that I make. Can, <laughs> that I make whenever can, I think you can, about this. You can try it in and I, European snow sports. You can, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Um, you can, and I had this. I had a long chat about it, and I looked into it a little bit. Uh, the calf technologies, you may or may not know, is a thing that goes underneath um, in your boot between the baseboard and the liner, and gives you data as to how well you are skiing. It also, apparently, according to the website, and I haven't looked into it any further, but it also apparently has the ability to give you real-time, like if you plug yourself in with your earphones, it also gives you real-time coaching while you're skiing, right? Apparently, apparently. I don't know anything more about it now, so I'm largely ignorant of the whole thing. It got me to thinking, and there's two elements of this. So there's one is, I know how I feel about it, and I know that skiing is not, it does, it's not that for me. It's not that thing. I don't want any digital influence in my, my skiing or what I do skiing for. But then the other, the other start of thing I was thinking. Do you mean like in case, in case the Chinese are, are tracking you or <laughs> <laughs> something to do that's, with, your, to do with vaccines and that's conspiracy, one, he says, conspiracy uh, theories. He says recording this on the Chinese phone. <laughs> But the, 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 no, the, more to the point of skiing for me is not about, it's about getting away from, I, I spend enough time in front of a screen, I think we all feel like we do that. Skiing is, is for me is to get away from, from all of that as much as possible, in my own personal view. The other point I want to talk about, which we'll come to a bit later, but first I want to hear your, your thoughts on kind of tech into, into your own skiing. But the second part is, what is it that clients want? Is there really a subset of clients who want to be plugged in and track like what they're doing on the mountain? In my experience, I don't think there are that many, but maybe maybe I've misjudged that market. I misjudged maybe two generations down from me who think differently to the way I think. So first I want your thoughts on like the place of digital tech within sports you know you can also look at it like for example running or walking with things like Strava and whatnot mm. Fitbit like, I don't I'm seeing anyone with a Fitbit lately so any of any of it yeah. if it helps what you do it's got to be beneficial mm-hmm. okay however it's how it helps or if it helps that's the big the big question isn't it mm. I mean I've I haven't tried Carve and the jury's out my my gut feel is I can't see it replacing a ski instructor. I could see it being used to to help, mm-hmm. to assist. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I tried something called Snow Cookie, okay. which had two sensors on the skis and a sensor on your chest. So more data points mm-hmm. are spread out further than the carve thing, which I, my, my sort of limited um, thinking on that kind of technology thick, comes to the conclusion that 
more data points gives you probably better data. Yeah. However, until I've tried it and seen how it works, I've, it wouldn't be fair for me to give a, a judgment on it. Mm. Now, the snow cookie stuff, for sure, I could look at that on a, on a phone and it, it would verify what I'm seeing or actually pick some, might help me pick something else up. Mm-hmm. So as, a, as an instructor or a coach, it could be beneficial as a tool, such as same as video or anything like that, to help you to help the client. Mm-hmm. Now, the interpretation of the data is the big thing. Yeah. That's, that's now the, the whole thing about the coach in your ear. I'm not really sure how far down the road they can get with that mm. in terms of it depends how much knowledge that person, that client has mm. in order to interpret that data to change what they do. Yeah. Um, but as I say, to help, to help the professional ski instructor or coach, for sure, that can help. And I'm sure there's other things out there that we look that can also help. I mean, the same, it's the same with video. You know, when we started doing video and video analysis, mm. it's great because it means you can actually look back and pick things up that you may not have seen at the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, or, or you can show one of your other coaches and say, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with mm. something here. Need a fresh pair of eyes. Yeah. So, yeah, as, as something that can help us to give a better experience to our clients or, or athletes, yes, I think um, it, can, it can have a place. I think oh. um, I think it's great. I've not tried it, but um, if it can augment a lesson, yeah, um, I think it's fantastic. And we're going to get into it and have, have some that clients can try. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, but you're right, you got to clients have got to be led to it a little bit. You've got to understand what they're trying to do, and then <coughs> if that can give them some sort of sound feedback or. You know, when they're in, the, when they're over the front of the foot, maybe, or not, not entirely on the back of the foot, or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, I think it can measure tilt angles, and it can measure the difference between one side and the other, so you can pick up some discrepancy um, in in something's perhaps not not balanced on either side. That would be quite useful. But I think mostly for giving people a feel for how far forwards they need to come, and and some other some other things within a lesson. So it's like instructor plus. Mm. And I think they're going in that direction. Like mm. it's something you can do with your instructor, yeah. but like it's quite expensive. I think like it's it's a it's a price point which lends itself to something you include in a in a lesson. Um, we've mm. used flake trackers on kids groups in the past. Um, that's a good system. Um, yeah, that's more like group safety type thing, you know, and seeing where they go. But you can also see a lot more information on those about where people ski and who's at the front of the group and mm. and things like that. And video yeah. feedback has changed a lot. Mm. You know, it used to be your handy, your handy cam and then your smartphone and then the client's smartphone. Mm. And then you say you've got six clients, put them in three sets of two, make them swap their smartphones, film each other from the side. 300 metres later, everybody has footage of themselves on their own phone mm-hmm. you know clients need to be reasonable skiers to film yeah, yeah, and yeah. ski but yeah, sure. um, you can with a group of say instructors or whatever you can you can easily do the technology has changed a lot I remember I remember when Warren Smith you know he's always doing sort of high tech stuff he used to have really early he had the video feedback on mm-hmm. like a sort of outdoor iPad yeah brilliant yeah. yeah you know and that's that has come to be the norm mm. um, and now everybody has it you know 
in their in their pockets yeah. as part of their daily life. It's not a it's not a special tool anymore. But I, I definitely think which this and Carl I think is good, and there are other things mm. which I think will be which will be a big plus. Ski Mojo. Have you heard of that? I have heard of Ski Mojo. Steve, Steve, what what do you? Um, I'm going to come back to Ski Mojo. <laughs> um, what do you think about? I, these two have very um, skillfully deflected their their own thoughts on um, no, digital I'm... influence when they're out skiing. <coughs> I like it personally on the mountain. What 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 do you what do you think about that? I haven't thought a lot other than just I know I'm also a big uh, biker, big mm-hmm. bicyclist, and all that, and. And extra, or just I work out, blah, blah, blah. People say, how long did you go? How far did you climb? How long were you out? How many weights did you lift? I have no idea. I, have no, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> track all that. That's not, not what I'm into. It's not yeah. what I'm there for. I'm there for, yeah. for the experience and to get away. But but that's me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Many yeah. many of my friends know everything. They know what their segment is, You know what their per- personal best is on every ride they mm. they can tell me exactly how much they lifted today and how much they're going to lift tomorrow and and it works for them so it's it's i think it's so personal yeah it is it's i i think that i think maybe one of the things is that there is a certain section of people that that really do value that kind of digital feedback mm. in that thing and it's not the reason that i go skiing i go skiing for different reasons right. yeah. um and certainly I think it goes down that road that we were talking about again, we, and I talk about all the time, which is skiing as performance, which I'm not really that into. So this doesn't that that kind of tech wouldn't interest me personally. It's just me, yeah. but it doesn't interest because that's not why I go to ski. I do it for other reasons. I think there are plenty of other people like you. You think there's a little community? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like sure. a hippie community. I, I think I think you're right. There are, there are people who are really into it who would yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, and then if there was some easy way to provide some data some e- good feedback or sounds or something yeah. it would be a useful tool you know the digital headsets keep people keep trying to promote them mm. uh, where you can communicate with the client yeah while, while they're skiing I've like, not, like the bluetooth ones you can get for the motorbike yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure about the, one, that, the ones the partially sighted users yeah, yeah. Uh, skiers use. Yeah. 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 I mean, it'd be nice to be able to say, you know, now is the point where I was talking about not being sitting down on your skis, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or just yeah. You know, yeah. be able to give that in feedback, but also very disruptive, you know. Yeah, disruptive. Very disruptive yeah. to, yeah. to mm. the flow. You have to, you'd have to, I think, probably spend some time learning to use that and, you know, not saying too much to the clients, mm-hmm. giving them some encouragement as if, maybe. As know. if ski instructors need any more excuse to talk more, <laughs> <Exactly>. right? <laughs> we better yeah. just not do this. The, the, the <laughs> thing I'm interested, funny you mentioned the extra data points, Phil, because if we, if we just dip into the technical for a, for, for a second, if all your data points are just coming from where, what is going on under your feet, I understand that it has tilt sensors and, and uh, I guess, what do you call them, velocity sensors, or like the, the ocean, something senses that. But there is no other sensors that you put on yourself that judges the position of, say, your hips, your, your, chest, your upper your body, shoulders. chest, shoulders, arms, whatever. Like, you know, if you wanted a picture of the whole thing, 
You wouldn't only do it from the feet, would you? Especially if you're trying to make technical improvements. You would, you I'm would thinking of, like, you know, for example, if you've got a basic parallel skier, but you want them to slightly get more of that kind of down the hill action to get the turn going, mm -hmm. you're not really going to get that from like just sensors you, underneath your feet. You'll get you'll get the pressure. Yeah. Because obviously, I'm, I'm assuming it picks up where the pressure is under the foot. For sure. But it is possible. <coughs> as people like Bodie Miller have demonstrated, to get pressure in the front yeah. and not necessarily be in um, a traditionally aesthetically pleasing body position and a desirable body position biomechanically for a less experienced skier. I, I mean, I, he, uh, uh, he's, uh, one, uh, he's an extreme. Uh, well, I was going to say to you, though, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call Bodie Miller's uh, skiing less desirable. I, I quite liked it. No, no. <laughs> but you wouldn't... Big, I'm, I'm only teasing. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. He's, deve yeah. he's developed how he skis. He skis how he skis. And it's yeah. how he yeah. skis. Yeah. It's not how someone else would ski. And, no. if, and if you've got somebody of a much lower level, mm. biomechanically, you want them to be sound. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're setting them up for an injury. I think with someone like Bodie Miller, also, probably, he, he, you know, he would understand all of that yeah. before he was able to go and break all of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's fair to say. Exactly. Right? I mean, the he probably didn't always ski like that. The other side is all really want all really matters is ski performance, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what's it matter? Mm. I mean, and how what other ways do you have to change your body position but through your feet? It's the only thing attached to a solid object. Mm -hmm. You can't push against the air to move your body around. It has to come foot up. Yeah. Mm. So I, I'm not I'm not really sure that extra data okay. points is, is yeah. missing. You know. Yeah, that's fair. You can't move. You can't move this without moving from the foot. Mm -hmm. There are so many other variables as well, aren't there, to consider? Yeah, you can drop it. There, there, are, there are some people who put accelerometers on every joint and produced then a, a 3D replay of a skier mm -hmm. doing a GS. Maybe 12, 15 years ago they, they had mm -hmm. this. And they talked to coach, they came and presented to us actually. And it was very, you could see the whole skier, and it was a good giant slalom skier mm -hmm. doing some runs. And um, very interesting. But they said that when they, they, they could analyze some stuff, and, but they basically came to the same conclusions as a good coach. Would with a video. Would just standing on the piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it took them a long time and there's a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of mm -hmm. analysis. So as a replacement, I think probably not. Um, but what they, what they may have realized, the people that fund these things, is that there isn't consensus amongst coaches and instructors about... Mm looking at every skier and saying what they need to do. If there was, mm. developing those things would be a lot easier, you know, it's like we might Yeah. We might um you should do it actually, do a podcast with some videos and then just have a bunch of instructors talking about skiers. Oh, imagine that would be the imagine they put the videos on the top <laughs> and we can all disagree. Yeah. But there should be there should be like as long as you understand what the skier is trying to do and what the skier is um skiing on and, and what their goals are it should be possible mm -hmm. to come up with some something which is not too varied mm -hmm. um you know and then and then if people are way off with that then look at why they said that what their understanding is and i think actually we would be quite shocked if we had 10 random instructors in here just how different those approaches are uh, i do it with my staff sometimes put a video up and mm. um it's always surprising who's good and Who's, who's an outlier, who's in the middle of the, 
thinking, you know. So one of the things with the Swiss snow sports courses that I've done is their skier analysis is really good. Mm. Um, excellent, in fact. They seem to have everything. a formal system that yeah. is very good. I think what's... And also, each one of those instructors will also have like a sort of a checklist that they work through yeah. and a default place where they like to start. Yes. Which is just through like personal preference, right? You know, I know where, where I generally go. You know, I'll look at the thing and I'll know a sort of a semi-order of which I might go about turning somebody into a much better skier than they currently are. Yeah. And there's certain fundamental things that you'd work through and the order in which you choose those is kind of kind of up to you but there are certain things that that generally work with most people mm -hmm. if you're doing a sort of generalist lesson yeah um but everyone has their favorite things to work work on as well right everyone yeah. every, i think everyone is yeah. fair to say has certain pet things that they think really makes a difference yeah with with clients um but you know i'll go out there and say the one that i see the most is that people don't have very good rotational skills on their skis and I think that that gives you the key to unlocking quite a lot of the mountain. If you can steer your skis well, you can control your speed everywhere and it allows you to access much more of the mountain. And so I would generally go, I, I, I end up solving that problem a lot for people because it, it allows me to make what we were talking about earlier, which is like quick wins. You know, what's, what's best for you? What's going to get you skiing better in a short period of time for the, the three hours that I'm with you, you know? But everyone will have their own version of that. So, every, you know, for example, Phil, when he's coaching, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but when you're coaching young racers, right, it, it probably won't be about that. Often is. <laughs> because know? especially these days, and we did a uh, training day at Stoke uh, last month, and all the kids are really good at just going... Rail, yeah. Rail, all sorts of different body positions to achieve that. Set them something to make to challenge them to turn their feet, and they uh, some interesting results. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's because you're working perhaps with coaches who are less experienced that, that think the kids have to carve through courses, mm -hmm. and actually that's not the case. I mean, if you throw create quite a one-dimensional skier in yeah, that way. Throw back twenty-five years, we all had to ski on straight skis, and we all had to learn to turn our feet before we could cut. Mm -hmm. And that isn't the case anymore. So they skip that phase, yeah. And you end up having to take a step back to yeah, to do very, it. And it's mm. it's like you say, it's key. Very it's key to be able to ski yeah. anywhere mm. is to be able to have that control, not the ski controlling where you turn, but you controlling where and how much you turn. Yeah. And the, the more shaped the ski, the more sensitive it is to fore and aft yeah. problems, which make those teaching those steering skills even even harder. Yeah. You know, so it's harder to teach skiing on those skis, mm. even though they lend themselves to skipping that phase. A very good way of putting that, I think, mm. skip it, which is true. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe we should teach people on straight skis, <laughs> short touring skis, and then... Once they've got some steering, then bring them back to that's, that's, parabolic. It's quite an outlook out, out there opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we only we only we only teach on straight skis here at Europe. You have to do it the hard way, like we used to do. Well, I don't think it's necessarily easier for a beginner <laughs> mm. on a shaped ski. Like it's easier if you're an intermediate. Mm. When we when I worked in in the states, we had this thing where they were, they were doing six, they called it six hours to parallel or something. Right. They thought these short shaped skis were 
and have really speed people through. Yeah. And we tried it, and it was really hard, if not impossible. The short ski thing, where they go straight to parallel. No, it wasn't that. It was, it was basically here. We have these shaped skis. Mm. This will enable people to progress a lot more quickly. And they don't the need to spend time in the wedge or even learn the wedge often. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not Evil Lutif, which is just short skis. Yeah. But it basically was Evil Lutif because they were a bit shorter. But the shape... They had shape to them, yeah. Yeah, they had shape to them, which was what they thought would make it easy, but actually made it made it harder. Well, there's a, there we go. Maybe maybe we just stop recording now. We'll just come <laughs> up with a genius idea. To, it's all gone. <laughs> what are you going to say, Steve? Oh, my... Uh, Actually, my boss, I worked, I ran the school at Stevens Pass for a while, and my boss there was the former captain of the Alpine Demo team, and he was working with the land a lot and developed these very specific teaching skis that were, they were beveled on the sides, and mm-hmm. and then short, you know, and they're also, you mounted them a little bit farther forward, so there's more chance you could engage them when you wanted to, but it, they're very, mm-hmm. very much steering, mm-hmm. you know. They just enhanced steer. You almost could not catch an edge mm-hmm. because, you know, people want, they try to steer, they catch an edge. They don't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, it, we never fully, you have to get the skier to buy into this whole new rental fleet. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, be quite expense. Yeah. Back east, I think um, skiers more, there's more than they did that. I don't really know how it worked out, but we mm. did have teaching skis from Rossi that were, they were very soft, torch length, mm-hmm. they were short. And the skis rental shop would send out the appropriate ski for the beginner second lesson and all okay. that. Um, and they really helped, you know. In uh, in Villa, the, the the blue and yellow school there still does the Evoluti short skis. Yeah, uh, straight to straight to parallel. Didn't the guy, the old director of the red school in Morgan, try to eliminate the snowplow? Oh, I don't know about that. The young one that came in. Don't know about that. Um, but. That. But I think the snowplow is a see so you, you use it more often than you think. Yeah, you use it a lot. It's absolutely <laughs> fundamental. Although <laughs> no, you can't, you know, you know the, 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 there's a lot of times when I end up in the snowplow and I think if I didn't know how to do this, this could be. How many times have you hit a lift queue faster than you thought? Yeah. And there's no there's no space to turn the skis. <laughs> Big weights. I mean, back I do a, a heli camp in in Telluride, and we have this phase where. Okay, now we're going to learn how to do step turns and stem turns because you don't just get in this funny place, you know, in yeah. some place yeah. in the backcountry and just jump in and want to no. turn. You want to go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And go, that's not right. I said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> this is essential. We're not going on the bird unless you get this down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you know? right. So that's quite right. Uh, cool. All right. So tech and skiing. I think we put that to bed. Uh, maybe the, the 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 interesting one I was thinking more so with tech and skiing was was about the clients and whether they wanted it because I was doing a sort of informal sample of, of people that I know who are clients of ours. I said, you know, is this the sort of thing that you might be interested in using at the weekend? And the vast majority of them just said, no, I just want to ski my kids at the weekend and get away from the bloody phone because all I do <laughs> is look at it all week yeah. in my job. You know, and I'm constantly on Zoom and I'm constantly doing this, that and the other. Like, why would you want to introduce... Maybe there is another set of people, maybe further, you know, 20-somethings, I want to say, who might, who think 
that, that improved tech might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. They're, right. the, they're the ones that nearly walk into you as you're walking around town. You just, just, just make yourself sound old. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. The, the, oh, yeah, go on. I would say the, the, I'd say more was the high pressure, I mean, uh, high powered executive that was more into the phone tracking. Oh, yeah. How fast did I go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. With, with the, with the, um, with the flake trackers, mm. we could see how many people were logging in to look at the stats for their kids. For their kids, and they could see all of those stats yeah. Yeah. and a track of where they'd been. And it was actually a very low number. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was like no under, t- under 10%. Just... Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Actually, less, yeah. Hmm. That's would, would log in and, and be bothered to look at it. Yeah. They they liked it because it was a added safety feature. Yeah. Um, and we I think we're the only ones in Europe that, that have it, hmm. had it. Um, we, we stopped it last year um, but it was it was it was good but no one really used the, the, the data That's side it. of it Assuming, okay. yeah, as, as a parent I've given my child to to you to look after and I would hope that I trust I trust oh, yeah. you <laughs> yeah. to do that I would why would I want to log on and have a look that, yeah um, it's actually it more it? it would surely it'd be more fun mm. chatting to chatting to your child and going where did you go today Right. Tell me, or take take me, yeah. take yeah. me there, you know, and then we'll go for a hot chocolate or something, maybe. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. Right, we have moved now to the section that says any other business, and I know Julian's got a big list, so you might as well start with it. Not really, not really. I think. Um, Come on. Where, where, where do you want to start? Where should we Where should we start? Co-hosting. <laughs> yeah. Co-hosting is is not on the menu. It's not happening. It's you know this is a one-man dictatorship. Yeah, That's I mean I, I've listened to I've listened to some, not not all of the other. You see, you don't even listen to them. How can you be a co-host? You don't even listen I've listened to, to most of them. I don't know how you pull it all together. That lasts a very long time. Um, <laughs> I have to like go double speed or something. But, um, there are some there are some very interesting things. I think on I think on on Brexit and Europe and working in Europe for the for the Brits. Listening to Peter's um, podcast, he, he kind of took ownership of that whole Eurotest agreement mm. that for nearly 20 years meant that British instructors thought they had to go and do the Eurotest, but it really wasn't his deal. I think he was in the room. It was um, it was more much more Dave Renouf, who was the chairman at the time, who pushed that deal through. Um, and there were some people who were obviously against it. Um, because we did have, as eventually Simon Butler proved, uh, the right to work in France without that. Yeah. It was a side deal that fell short of um, what we could achieve within the treaty that we had with Europe. <coughs> and by getting everyone to buy into it, and the association to buy into it, everyone who came in was then convinced that, well, that's just the way it is, you just have to do it, because the people in our own association think, you have to do it. And if you stepped outside that and challenged it, you wouldn't get the support of your own association, um, which, of course, is the, the 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 coup de grace that they were looking for. It was the it yep. was the basically the buy off that we that we accomplished. So I think Peter it was interesting to listen to his history on on that. But it wasn't you know it was it was a bad, I feel it was a bad deal, and he's a, he's a friend of mine, so he doesn't need to take ownership of that. Um, uh, I think it's important we can look back on that whole period now as a as a thing, and when you when you look at now if you were if you were a young instructor now coming through Peter talked also in part two about how it's really bad you know the the Brexit 
event, the COVID event, is like a massive point of change in everyone's careers. It's really important for those people who've perhaps given up on working in France or have left Switzerland to not see it as just the end of their careers because the world is a big place and for the English-speaking instructors, for us Brits, we don't really have our own. We have mountains in Scotland. We have four or five uh, ski resorts, which are pretty small. Mm -hmm. um, they had a sort of heyday in the 80s which were where there were mm -hmm. thousands of clients. Mm -hmm. And then they deregulated the airlines and the economy went up in the 80s and people would fly to the Alps. Oh. So if you lived in England or near London somewhere in the, in the more affluent part, it was actually, even in the north of England, it's it was cheaper to fly to Geneva than it was to drive to Scotland. Wow. Yeah. Before, though, when the airlines went unregulated, there were, there were two, there was British Airways and Swiss Air, and they agreed to have three flights each, and it cost £200, you know, 1986 or whatever, to fly. And then once that all opened up, EasyJet, all those places, you know, the chance... 25 quid flights and less. Yeah, so then all of a sudden the skiing moved from Scotland to the Alps. And with it, then came the problem of, well, these Brits want to come and work here, and apparently they think they can because we have the Treaty of Rome and da 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 And as they went into France, which is heavily unionised, um, the, the trade union in France has, has gained control of the biggest ski corporation. So you have this sort of like, it's like the worst nightmare possible. It's not only is it a massive corporation, but it's owned by the trade union. And it's, it has influenced the, not only the local like regulators in the villages and the, the little regions of France, but the national law has exempted skiing from VAT, TVA, or goods, goods and services tax. So it's got an exemption from tax if it's a cooperative. So if I go to France and open a business and employ people, I have to charge uh, VAT. I see. You see where they don't. And that mm. exemption is not a national thing, it's just for the ski instructors. And this it's a cooperative. Right. So it has members, half of them are members, half of them are trainees. And it's good to have Steve here, we can explain it to him. It's like, <laughs> well, people, oh, you're listening, might not have known this. <laughs> people are asleep right now. No, 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 it's really important. <laughs> this is really important. So when these foreigners came to work in this corporation's like home territory, they were like, there's no way we're having that. Right. But they can't just come and work wherever they want, they have to follow this system. The system was, right, you go into that ski school, you become a member, you share profits, which are generated by trainees. Right. And you are allowed to be a trainee for five years. Mm. If you don't pass the final test to become a member, in those five years, you can never teach skiing again. What? You're bound for <laughs> life. <laughs> because there's, an, there's lots of people who want to be ski instructors, they go through the five years and then they're kicked out. So I've got a bunch of French guys working for me who couldn't get through that system. And while the people are going through that system and passing or failing and being booted out, they're generating profits which are distributed amongst the owners of the corporation, the cooperative, nice. quasi-socialist nightmare, that, that is, which has not only corrupted French law, but also EU law. Mm. So the laws allowing for that system to operate right. are now European-wide, Europe -wide, which is why in France it's now very difficult to, very difficult to compete with them. And they were so dominant in the market that right. it affected their, I'd say, affected their, their little customer service level. Some of them are great, yeah. but overall, it's a very, very tricky, yeah. very it, protected it, situation. Yeah, you did a, a pretty good job of that 
the podcast I listened to earlier explaining how the Eurotest came to be and yeah. and just that really dry winter when all the Brits showed up and yeah, all the yeah, yeah. didn't come and yeah. the Brits are working and yeah that was really nice so that I think like that situation happened and what going forwards what the instructors can learn from it now is that if there's if there is a way to let's say you, you're an English speaking ski instructor and, and you can't work in Europe so much but you can work in the States or you can work in Japan, or you can work in Canada, or Australia, or New Zealand. Look yourselves into the possibilities. Look at the deal between Britain and Australia. Mm. There is a new deal that's just come in. Mm, Look at right. what's possible. Look at the rules yourself. Apply for what you can. Make those moves. Don't rely on... Don't rely on... Same old, same old. Same old, same old. Don't rely on, on Bayesie or IAC. To, it's not their job to do international negotiations. Their job is to produce good quality instructors for the places where people can work. And, you know, go off and work in those places. I mean, the first half of my career was States, Australia, New Zealand. Brilliant. You can earn good money in those places. Mm -hmm. It's not true that the money is bad in North America. It's good. No, the Mountain good, West is, yeah. is quite good money. You work yeah. in a good resort. Yeah. You're a good instructor. You get good tips. Yeah. You can earn good money. Am I right? Am well, I... you're right, and there's a there's a always need. If you show up and, and you have experience and you have a place to live, you're hired. Yeah, yeah. almost right. guaranteed. Yeah. So I mean, this is I think a particularly despondent moment for many people in our or many listeners and many young new instructors and old hands who have jacked it in in France. But actually, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of possibilities around the world, and people might say, "Oh well, I can't drive out. It's not France. It's not the same." And yeah, sure, it's not the same, but you will have a fantastic experience, career working in in all of those other places. The only, yeah, the only constant is change. <laughs> yes, yeah. my my old boss, Mike Hammond, again. Mm. That was one of his favourite expressions. The only thing that's constant is change, mm. and I mean, it's never, tough because never more so yeah. than in the last year. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike himself, he, he got to his level equivalent today of a level three, past his level four, all parts of his level four apart from his tech. And they basically refused to let him um, go through because he only had one leg. Oh my. But then he basically, he, 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 he pushed against that, you know, and it was unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He skis either on one leg with outriggers or for lower speed manoeuvres. He has, uh, I worked with him like, this was like nearly 20 years ago, I yeah. worked with him. Um, and he was like, he would have a, he has an artificial leg for mm. slow speed skiing or outriggers for higher yeah. speed. And what a fast skier. I mean, oh, it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, going back, going back, skiing on like three track, he was so fast mm. and so good. Mm. And, you know, he's an above knee mm. amputee, so he hasn't got his knee joint. And yet, you could watch him ski with Salabets on, like on on sort of a lesson, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't you wouldn't know. Wouldn't know. Wow, mm. amazing. Yeah, he's, he's pretty. He's pretty, he was pretty good. I mean, he's probably still a pretty pretty hot skier. Uh, I think he's probably seventy one now, thereabouts. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought he was 71, 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he ski, he took us out skiing, and I joined this ski school, and I was like precocious young trainer and um, he said let's go for a ski and honestly, <laughs> honestly I, could, I could barely keep up with him he just took me to school you know yeah it was a total total lesson yeah and I have a lot of respect for mm. him he's a good guy 
Good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Say goodbye and Merry Christmas to everybody. Yeah, Happy Christmas. Yep. Uh, thanks for having me, everybody. Hey, I'm going to interview yeah, you yeah. separately, I think. Yeah, no, uh, separate. Once you've got him on board. Separate podcast, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'd be really cool. If I can't Otherwise, you're all recruiting. Like yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You might, <laughs> might find yourself in a bidding war. Yeah, this year's been, this year, last couple of years has been terrible. I think like, the future's the future's much better. Yeah. Just celebrate or have to wear shoes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's um, let's wish everyone, yeah, like I say, wish you all uh, a very Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Christmas and Happy Snow, lots of it, for the winter season to come. Right. What I've got to do is save part two, and then we're good. <laughs>